What's up my fellow poker enthusiasts, it's Renee aka The Wacko here and together with my co-host Adam Carmichael we present to you the Mechanics of Poker podcast. In this podcast we deconstruct high stakes poker players figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. Over the years, me and Adam have gained a lot of experience in both reaching high stakes poker ourselves and teaching other players to do the same. We have bundled all this knowledge together in our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker, which is the most complete poker coaching product on the market. If you want to have a chance to work with me and Adam so you can get unstuck and make more progress in your poker career, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com to apply. But without further ado, let's learn from another high stakes player's journey in today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Today we will have a chat with Brazilian high stakes online cash game player Mateus Pinheiro, aka Exploitable Online. Mateus started out his online poker journey back in 2012 with a $50 free promotion and worked his way up to 40k NL. Okay, the recent milestone of his where he joined the likes of Stefan, Linus, Mike Boyfin. So started out with zero all the way up to 40k NL. As always, this way, this grind towards the top did not come without the necessary bumps in the road. Having to move down and stake drastically and even consider stopping completely. Very curious to dive into how he has overcome these obstacles that I'm sure some of our listeners find themselves in. So hopefully Mateus can share some valuable insight in how to overcome the struggles poker players face. As always, we are joined by my co-host, co-mechanics of poker coach Adam. Adam, what are you personally curious for with our guest today? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving into this five-year period where he really struggled to get things working. He had some success where he went from 25 NL to 1Ks, but then he had a lot of turmoil and a lot of self-doubt about his poor career. Was it going to work out? So uh, I actually think these periods of a player's career are the most interesting. It's generally where they shape their mindset, their kind of uh, viewpoints going forward for the rest of their careers. So I'm looking forward to digging into that period and seeing how he came out the other side and went on to, uh, to play high stakes after. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If you if I reflect on my career, usually you don't like going through shit, but then usually reflecting afterwards, you learned a lot, a lot of necessary skills that, you know, you just had to learn in order to surpass to a next level. Before we start, I would like to give a big shout out to our sponsor, GTO Wizard, for sponsoring today's podcast. Take your game to the next level with GTO Wizard. Practice against GTO on all your devices. Study any situation from pre-flop to river, we've got it all. Upload your hand histories to uncover your biggest leaks. We have hundreds of hours of coaching from top pros, cutting edge theory articles, and custom study plans help guide your poker journey. GTO Wizard, the number one app for poker players. So sign up to GTO Wizard using the link below, gtowizard.com slash mechanics, get 10% off your first month and join the weekly coaching webinars of which one per month is with me. Looking forward to educate you there. At the end of this podcast, we will have a giveaway where you can win one 
month free membership to GTO Wizard. So make sure to stick around. But for now, without further ado, let's tune in live to Belo Horizonte in Brazil to chat with Mateus. Mateus, bom dia. Thank you for uh, joining us today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Guys. You're a very early riser, right? 6 a.m. in Brazil. We were already uh, we were already talking. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, even if I wanted to, my cat doesn't let me sleep past 7 a.m. So it's kind of the drill every day, waking six o'clock. For the for the animal lovers, definitely worth following uh, Mateos on Instagram. You're dead. <laughs> in general, you're a very active Instagram poster. You make uh, you have good uh, good video filmmaking type of skills like you you, you try you know i, I see yeah you yeah, make yeah some nice videos uh from time to time and uh yeah, yeah definitely a lot of cats and dogs i'm a dog lover myself uh, so <laughs> much appreciated so if you like dogs and cats definitely worth checking out mateos on instagram mateos you uh, are a high stakes cash game player from brazil uh mm -hmm. and today in this conversation i wanted to start actually pre-poker as many uh, other guests as well you as well have played competitive sports and video games before you switched to poker. I wanted to start off with the sports section. You managed that in your teenage years, you were playing handball five to seven days a week. So that's taking mm -hmm. it very serious. What were some of the things you learned about being competitive in sports that you think helped maybe shape your mindset, for example, in being a professional poker player? Probably one of the most important things that I learned with competitive sports or like team sports, especially, is you gotta put the work hours and you gotta put your mind on it in order to work. You know, jumping ahead a bit, but we, we can go back in that again uh, in a few minutes. But it's like I see a lot of people in poker, uh, most of Brazilians, especially because like they're more near me and I, I know how they, they think, uh, they want a shortcuts, you know, people want to like jump ahead. Like they want to, for example, they join a team, uh, sports, uh, whatever, like a football team or a handball team, for example. And all they want to do is play, uh, the game and score goals. No one wants to, uh, uh, how it, it's called like the do the defensive work. No one, uh, the, no one want to do the hard work, like the dirty work, like that. It's not on the hollow thoughts when the the all, all, all it uh, when we we think about it. And but you gotta like do the basics. I think the the most important thing is that you gotta learn the basics you gotta learn it well you gotta solidify a strategy like in poker you gotta learn how to do it like to how to pass how to defend how to attack how to pass the ball how to positioning on the field on the court etc and like the dribble uh how it's called in the in it's not the it's the dribble i think it's it yeah. is right yeah like the dribble is just a um, cherry to the, the the cake, you know? It's not the, the base net. That's not what is going to get you there. Like, for example, if you uh, see Vinicius uh -huh. Jr. playing right now, uh, the guy who went to Real Madrid, he was like uh, 
very fast, very strong. He was uh, dribbling a lot, but he couldn't manage to get the right decisions, like to take the right decisions in the right time for like one year at, at, last, at least. And when he got there, he like in two or three years, yeah, I think three years now, right? He now can pass the ball. He can uh, perform well under pressure. He can uh, make the right decisions, like when to pass, when to fi uh, finalize, when to shoot, uh, and that make the like the dribble is uh, just one side of it. It's like one small portion, one small fraction of everything he already knew, and that he. Uh, get better doing why he was a real and working every day and etc so i think the most important thing is that is this that i learned we got to know in poker for example we got to know uh our strategy where dv is coming from uh what you want to do like in jumping another <laughs> again like being present in the moment like if you're pay, playing any com competitive sport if you're not present there if you're thinking about something else people are gonna run you over no matter the level their their level uh if you're competitive people you, you just like you got to be very present to take the best decisions and make the right decisions, best actions etc so i think that's the most important thing. See, that reminds me a bit of you. You're mentioning Vinicius. I personally follow Manchester United a lot. There's Anthony. I have, I have mm -hmm. a, kind of kind of the same the same feelings with that guy. Like dribbler, dribbler likes to do tricks, but his final decision making. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So like, horrible. Kind it's, of it's a certain maturity yeah. that you know I think players have to go through. Right? They came up. Mm -hmm. They were good dribblers. Right. And that's what they did. And, and I completely, for example, I play football as well. And usually if you play like a bit more friendly football game, you always have to say at some point, hey, guys, we have to defend as well. Right. That's <laughs> something you have to say to people or like, you know, let's say, for example, you make an overlapping run, not to get the ball, but just to create space. That's something mm -hmm. that people start doing at a higher level. Right. And in, you know, if you play a bit more recreationally, you, you're there, you make that run because you want to have the ball. Right, it's not. Mm -hmm. I'm making this run. I'm just <laughs> running here, wasting my energy. I don't even want the ball. I'm just drawing like a gap for you to walk into or something. That's something that's that happens way more at professional levels. So, what would be, for example, you were mentioning, you know, the dribble is a chair of the cake. What would be like the dribble, if 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 in if in football we have the dribble or like a nutmeg? What's like the mm -hmm. nutmeg of uh, a nutmeg of poker? That people are a way to way, way to focus on where you're saying way more hey listen mm -hmm. you got to mature your game you mentioned like repetition of like maybe the fundamentals maybe the more boring spots right mm -hmm. how do you then so what what would be like the nutmeg of poker and how do you make repetition fun i think it's more like the mentality not one thing spe uh, specifically like uh, i'm an, an exploitative player you you probably heard that 100 times more than me than myself so like you were exploiting what guy what what you're exploitative okay so what are you exploiting and then you ask that and people just like 
okay, glitch in the matrix. They don't know what they're saying and they don't know why they're doing that. So uh, I, I think that's it. Like the guy is trying to exploit, but he doesn't even know what is he's exploiting. What, what's the basics? What it's the equilibrium. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to do something genius, basically. Trying to look for spots to to maybe hero call, hero fold, make a great bluff. That's more the mentality with which he plays poker, which would be the you know, all like all the cool things, but not really where the money is made, right? You you, you were yeah, saying exactly. like where the money comes from, more like okay, playing your good hands well, playing a solid strategy, kind of more boring things that you yeah, it's, as you it's mentioned very boring for handball. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, and I, I am Dota. When when I, I play Dota, I played that a lot. Yeah, you mentioned you're also playing yeah. Counter Strike, Dota, right? These yeah, some computer games you were Mainly... you were playing a lot as well. Mm -hmm. In this two, you you kind of feel in, in football as well. You see the drive that people have to the the. I think like to be famous. I don't know if that's the, the correct word. Like, they want to be the checker. They want to be the striker. They want to be the farmer. They want to be the hard uh, HC. I, I, I don't remember how it's called in English. But like, they want to be the player that make beautiful plays. They, yeah, they don't yeah. want to be the guy who... You don't want to be the like, goalkeeper. Who carry the piano. Like, <laughs> they... They, want, they just want to get the, the most of it, but they want to do what they got to do to get where they want it. Like, I, I think it, it gets... Oh, yeah, I, I get what you mean, especially, you know, as, as you mentioned, not something specific. It's more your overall mindset towards the game. It seems like, you know, a bit more of a chase of dopamine, cool things. Mm -hmm. uh, but then actually to, to come back to, to, to my question then, how have you, throughout your career, um, stayed focused on what's actually important and where the money actually comes from instead of maybe being derailed by shiny objects like, you know, the dribble, the nutmeg, which would be mm -hmm. like, you know, the cool plays in poker. I've definitely been guilty of that, of wasting too much time and thinking, looking basically for cool plays to make and in the meantime, screwing up on a lot of fundamental spots. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I do that till this very day. So it's like, I, I don't think it's something that you get rid of for good. So uh, I'm, I struggled a lot for a, a large period of time, like playing, because we are, we are talking here about Brazil, Brazilian reality. Like if you're playing 200, it's already a good amount of money that you're making every day. So every day, not every month, every year for getting a good living out of poker. So you kind of stay bored uh, because it's not that uh, dopamine rush that you said. Like mm -hmm. if you're doing that, playing 200 for three, two, three years, it's kind of get, it gets bored and you gonna chase that different strategy you're gonna chase different uh sizes you're gonna try to overrun opponents when you shouldn't you're gonna try to do cool plays like you said uh check all into uh river bluff catching 
on spot that you shouldn't, bluff raising river when you shouldn't. Uh, and most important, I think, is you try to chase something else in poker, uh, but it's something like you're trying to chase something in life through poker. Yeah, like sort of I, a significance, like oh, uh, you know, I need to do, I need to do something cool to be significant in this game. Yeah, like oh, okay, what what you do for a living? I play two hundred, and what you do there? Okay, I I like I just play a solid strategy and win, break back, and that's it. I play six to eight o'clock. Okay, so you you basically have a job like everyone else, and then you gotta uh do uh, make excuses to do stupid stuff on your game and yeah to at least have and... some uh yeah to feel like something has happened through throughout your day yeah exactly so what you know you, you mentioned like brazilian mentality maybe they are looking for ways uh i think I've, we actually talked about this with i think it was figar about that he sees a very big difference in like european mentality in poker that they're usually way more driven by you know, ambition, they want to become the best, mm -hmm. they want to reach the top, they're usually more willing to take risks and stuff. Whereas in Brazil, they're maybe a bit more driven towards fi uh, around financial security, like they see the financial opportunity. So as you were also saying, like a lot of players maybe in Brazil strive towards getting to 200NL and then they make good living and that's kind of what they strive towards. What made you want to strive higher than 200NL? Why did you not just stay at 200NL because you made a comfort living? What is it like that competitive driving you, which I guess was also there in handball, mm -hmm. was also there in playing games? Because, for example, you play handball five to seven days a week. You could have also just, oh, I like to play handball. Let's play handball twice a week. Mm -hmm. But no, you, you, <laughs> you, you went all in. Why? Um, uh, first of all, like, I think it uh galfon said that once like a long time ago about being everything being easy for us like in school if you have some uh a bit like easy if you an if you are an easy learner like everything comes easy and in poker is not in poker is not like that uh and when you get to this barrier like this wall and you hit this wall when you okay like that is challenging. So what what I get to do to get to, to the other side of this wall or to solve this problem and be easy in life again, like be lazy, not, not lazy, but be in a good spot again and say, oh, okay, I, I, I kind of like playing poker, like I'm good at poker. Um, so it was probably around the time I joined BTS but, um, because I was playing 100 for three years, like two or three years, and it's very boring. And it's like, but, but I, I'm born to do that. Like I, I'm here and wasting my days, like my early, my late 20s, playing 100 and grinding this to do what? Like that's the that's the ceiling of what I'm going to do with my life. So I joined the BTS. Uh, I learned a lot, like the mentality of, I think 
by the time was BB sick. And Walter, they both had uh, the same mentality and that like helped me a lot because it, it goes from winning. Okay, it's not a, just about winning. It's do, doing the right things to win. So if because if you're playing poker, variance is like the, the main factor, one of the main factors. And you can do whatever and still won. Like the, you can... I. I if I'm not wrong, last year, for the six first months of the year, uh, the greatest winner on PokerStars were, was a fish. Like the guy was winning like 1.500 or something. And 150, 100 and something. And then the variant hits him and he loses like 20 on 3K hands. So... Like it's not it's not about winning in the short term. It's like building a mentality, building a strategy, building uh, an environment environment that's gonna help you to make the best decisions. And then you're gonna start like all of this suddenly. But no, uh, you're gonna you start, start winning. Yeah, exactly. You start winning, and like, but that that really came later to me in life because like I. I didn't have much money when I was growing up. So you kind of in the mentality of surviving, you know, like you're gonna, gonna, how, so you have a grasp of it. We were, were of the, in the point of choosing which bill we are going, we're going to pay. So how can you build something in the long term? So so yeah, you, that, how, how can you have like that mentality when your current situation is deciding which bill you're going to pay, right? Exactly. When, like, basically, when making money now is very important, so it's very hard to have like that long-term vision, right? Mm -hmm. you, you just need money because you need, you, need, you need to decide which bill you want to pay and preferably you should just pay both now straight away. <laughs> yeah. So there's the, yeah, that's like a game changer. For me, it was like it was the BTS, the mentality of these guys. I I joined th therapy, mm -hmm. so we we kind of had to deal deal with it and like get like separate yourself for of of this childhood of mm -hmm. yours. So, and build a new one, build a new person, uh, do the best you can go and realize your potential. So, so, so you felt like, for example, you, you mentioned therapy, you felt like the, maybe your association that you had to money given the environment you grew up in was holding you back in terms of, for uh, sure, may, maybe, maybe striving, striving for further than a hundred and now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of in you know, the timeline we just already jumped a lot. No worries, no worries. I'm I'm on top of it. We will uh, yeah. we, we will make sure it stays in line. Okay, so yeah, and I remember uh, the day I I contact Guzcor, the Stefan, mm -hmm. and he has had a questionnaire about like what you're doing in poker, how you think about poker, what you want to achieve in poker, uh, where you see yourself in the, the future to come, et cetera, et cetera. And I like 
fulfilled this this application and this questionnaire, this formula. And he, in the first minutes of the session, he said to me like, okay, you're, on, you're one of the few that are thinking five years ahead. So maybe we have something here, like let's, let's work to, to get there. Because I said to him like, at least in three years, at least in three years, I want to be playing the games you were playing. By the time I was playing 200 and 500, if I'm not wrong. And I wanted to play like 1K, 2K. And in Brazil, I think mm, we had no player playing these games but back then. I think that Urubu was the only famous guy. Urubu, yeah, that, I remember Urubu. But like the PLO guy, he played like 10K, 20K, 40K, if I'm not wrong, but it was PLO. And so I had to kind of open this path to play 1K and the mentality, the what's the hard work, the what we the swing, swings we got to deal with and so forth so yeah, yeah. so so I, I i wanted to take it back because as you mentioned you know you went uh, you went a couple of steps ahead <laughs> i want to take it a little bit back to you know you're you're playing dota construct at some point you got into touch with poker mm -hmm. uh you saw did, did you see poker purely in the beginning as like a way to provide to, mm -hmm. to to get an income like and i think a lot of the things that you explained if you have like the what is it is it the muscle muscle pyramid if i'm not mistaken like the hierarchy of of needs i think it's oh yeah yeah uh -huh. you know and like your basic need is yeah that, that you know you you want to be able to pay your bills you want to be able to eat and as soon as you have that satisfied you go up in the pyramid you know and you strive towards like personal development and stuff like that but obviously exactly. the first need is you know that that yeah you're fat and you're you have a certain sense of security so it sounds like that was that something then that drew you to try out poker and was that then also the reason that you stayed stuck at hunter now you stayed too stuck in the pyramid and you felt that resistance of like oh no i want to get more out of life this is now the basic need that is fulfilled i can you know i don't have to decide anymore which beta pill i can pay both yeah was that then like the motivation to get into poker and also the reason you stayed stuck Mm -hmm. Yeah, a very good question. Question. I think you summarized it like very well. Is by the time I was on college doing social communication, and a friend of mine who was living in New York, he came like he came back for vacation. And oh, okay, I, I have a board, uh, a card game. I think you guys wanna try it out and do whatever you want uh let's try it okay let's try it and like I, i'm very very bad in card games like very bad I, okay. and i don't like them <laughs> okay explains That's... a lot why you became a professional <laughs> poker player <laughs> and what was different then uh, in this one because like here we we play play a lot of truco and, and that's there is not a very good strategy around it and we have buraco i was very bad at both and people like kind of mocked me they didn't have the time or the patience to learn they just moved that energy to mocking me of, about not being good so i just kind of created a 
a very bad uh, feeling about card games. But this one is was based around strategy and like in one seat, you can, if the guy sits you in the chair and okay, that's the rules. Now you're gonna play. Okay, you you kind of already start to create some strategies. Now, obviously, that, that are not good strategies, but it's very interesting and challenging. So I started out, and I found out about PokerStrategy.com by the time, and they were giving fifty bucks or something by for free. If you play the, the games. So I started studying and started do, uh, playing and winning like 20, 20 dollars or so. So I was thinking, okay, if I get good at it, I can win a lot of money. And like in Brazil, if you're, how we call, like if you're a marketing person or someone that, uh, or journalist, you are going to like strive and, and, and struggle to get a decent paycheck. So I, I just moved my, my, mind, my mind from, okay, now I don't have to struggle to, to anymore to win like a few bucks. And if I do that, that's inf- insanely more uh, challenging and more interesting. I can do, learn a lot of money. So that's what I'm going to do now. And I, that was on the second year of, of the college, I guess. So I basically started playing a lot of poker back then. So it and was basically the, the fact that it had a strategy aspect compared to like the other card games that had more of a strategy aspect that you found interesting and you felt like, hey, yep. maybe also with your history with Dota and Counter-Strike, you learned to think strategically. You're like, hey, I can probably get better at these games because of the strategy aspect uh, aspect than in the other games. Mm-hmm. For sure, that was like, and the competitive factor, like, was very, very, very uh, helpful for me. For me, yeah, you had something to prove, right? That that you don't suck in card games. Well, <laughs> no, I'm I'm, sh- I'm sure they don't say anything now anymore, right? I think I think you've earned uh, you, you've earned your stripes. You also mentioned like. A lack of, I think this was in terms of uh, you were looking at playing 1K, you were mentioning at a later pace in your career, and you mentioned that there was no no one there. You quote, I, I quote you, you said, there was no role models had to open the path, basically, because no one has walked that path. When you decided to switch to playing poker full-time, did you have a certain role model that you could at least follow, or were there other examples of like that you could sort of follow and be like, hey, Actually, you can make you're making good level. Maybe fellow Brazilians who are doing the same. Were a few guys uh, that we, I met in forums, internet forums, um, but that was it. And the guys were just <laughs> was like uh, drug dealers, you know, like not not drug dealers, but society so, saw them like drug dealers. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. play poker, you play cards for a living. What the fuck and how uh, how much did you lose you win x but how much did you lose uh my my uncle lost her house my my 
uh, my grandpa lost his daughter in poker and a gambling bet and I, whatever. So I I kept that from people for a while because it was too much to handle because uh, like, okay, I play poker, but how, how are you going to marry someone? How are you going to tell that to your, your like, your wife or how are you going to tell, tell that to your parents' wives, your wife and what your mother is going to think about it and like I don't know if in Europe it works like that but in Brazil people are like very okay and how people will react to that and I okay and that, so if I don't tell they don't react and we move on so uh, you could say that your environment was not necessarily that supportive? No, <laughs> zero. <laughs> zero. Okay. No, no, that, no. When, yeah. So then everyone was basically saying, don't do it. But you apparently had the confidence in yourself, maybe also through your progression in handball to your progression in video games, that you were very confident in yourself, like, hey, I can make this work. Or were also the results basically giving the feedback of like, hey, I'm making more money than you. Uh. <laughs> No, it was more about uh, I can do it myself. Like uh, with handball, for example. Uh, in Brazil, everyone plays football when they're young. Like for as soon as they start walking, you can you can throw a ball and people are like playing. But not you kept on basket. picking up the ball and they said that's not how it works. You should play handball <laughs> no, instead, no. or, or become the goalkeeper, yeah. or go play a different sport. No, no, the, the fact was in when young in, in when we are knowing sports starting to know sports uh we are pre were presented some sports a lot of guys are were, were already good enough at football so i i didn't have a, <laughs> a place there i was going to be the reserve i will so let me find another game where i can do better and i have to be the guide of the team so let find another sport and uh, I didn't start very well in handball, but I find it was like find it funny and enjoyable to play, and people were very bad at it. So okay, let's put a time and energy on that and do good. So it was not like uh, I had some easy time playing handball uh, in the beginning. It was more like okay. People are very good in other in other sports, so I let's find one that I'm going to be the good. Okay, so you then learned basically that you can improve, and you took that mindset into poker as well. And we're like, mm -hmm. oh, if I, if I put my if I put I know that if I put energy into things, that I will become better, and that I can succeed at that. So you could say that handball helped instill that confidence in your ability to make progress in something you put time and energy into. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Perfect. When you when you started playing out, what were kind of your expectations of what the poker pro was like? And did you have any like aims? For example, was it that, for example, okay, I want to reach that hundred L, so you know, I make good money for to live a good Brazilian life? No, it was more like let's pay the bills. This one, this activity can help me pay the bills uh, and it's very interesting and it's very challenging so let's put some energy in there and see where it goes where it leads me to that led me to 1k by the time like 2014 i guess and then like 
I, I kind of struggle with goals. If I pick some goal, I, I tend to put it very far beyond and far, like far up, like let, let's play 100K. Okay, because I don't have the pressure to, <laughs> to get there. And anywhere I get in the way, like I will, I, I kind of, I'm always improving to get there. So I'm, i never reached that goal. Okay, that's uh, kind of not reasonable, but uh, on the other hand, it helps me to always improve and always think that I'm not good enough and not better. Uh, still, have had a lot of ways to get better at this. So I, I kind of never get satisfied with where I'm at right now. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, if your goal is just, oh, I want to I wanna be able to live a day-to-day -day life, and then you reach that, then you stop working. Whereas if you set a way higher goal, like I want to beat 100K, then this is actually something that often happens when people, for example, when you bum hunt into a game, often the goal is like, okay, I want to be able to beat the game, for example, so I can bum hunt in a certain game, okay? But then, and that's kind of where they stop. Whereas if they have more of a mentality, okay, so I got into this game. How can I take the maximum out of this recreational player, for example? Because all pros, they naturally say, like, okay, I'm, I'm winning against a recreational anyway. Why would I put more work in it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have the mentality more of like, okay, how do I make the maximum out of it? Then you start to think differently, right? Like, oh, actually, where can I take more money from this recreational? Or like, oh, this guy is very bad. I'm already better than him. And that's when they kind of stop looking or to progress whereas okay this this regular apparently is one of the worst regulars in my tables how can i take more money of him even more money obviously your standard game and because you're already better you'll make money but how can you even make more money right and that's only something a question that you're going to ask yourself if you set very high goals so in your mm -hmm. case playing 100k and now so i think that's uh that's very uh it's very beneficial advice for uh, people listening um Adam, I'm curious, like uh, Mateus was mentioning, like his association with money and how he grew up in a certain financial situation. In your experience, maybe personal, but also in coaching a lot of your clients, uh, how do you see people's association with money impact their poker career or maybe certain mental struggles that they run into? Very good question. Yeah, I think it impacts you a lot, especially starting out. If you come from a background of no money, I definitely had no money all my life. It creates like a very limiting construct of what you think is possible. And you think very survival based. So you like pay bills, how to make enough money for the next few months. And you don't really think far enough ahead. So you end up making choices that lead to short-term decisions and you can't see what your full potential is because you're almost like drowning. It's like you're splashed around in the water. If someone's put, pulling your head in the water, all you care about is getting, getting your head above the mm -hmm. water and not drowning. So you need to almost like get, get out of that kind of survival mindset. I think uh, Matthias mentioned himself being a bit of a survival mindset. My first year of poker was just like, pay the bills. How do I pay the bills? How do I not go broke? How do I not get by? So I think it, if you don't if you get stuck in that too long, it can definitely stop you moving forward. So I think if you come from a limited mindset, the main thing you need to do is get yourself in a financial situation where you're a little bit more comfortable. If you've got bills to pay, like Matthias, and you can't pay both of them, there's going to be an element of pressure that's going to be there with, with, with that. So yeah, I think you can definitely get past it. But yeah, when you come from a background of no money or debt or poverty, you have unique challenges in your first few years. The good thing is poker then becomes the path to transcend those, to evolve past those, because you can prove to yourself very quickly through poker, ah, 
I don't need to be limited. Like Matthias' first $20, $20 that he made, wait a second, <laughs> I can make money. If I keep working on this game, I can make money from it. So I think it probably becomes a good path for anyone who is struggling financially. Then the, the, the hard part is not to get too attached to the money. I know for myself, when I had no money my whole life, when I first had 10K in the bank, I was like, oh my God, 10K in the bank, I'm, I'm rich. And you get this kind of too attached to both sides to losing and winning money. So I think that's, uh, yeah, when you come from a, background of zero money i think you've got to uh, work harder to transcend those things to the point where you get comfortable and you get to uh yeah play the game of poker for the fun of it and to evolve and i really like what matthias said kind of playing like kind of a long-term game of setting a goal in the future and almost like the goal sets the direction and for yourself you've created like a very long-term vision of playing what 100 knl or in reality being the best version of yourself which keeps you in the game for a long time so i think that's a, a really good goal i think the survival people like myself starting out struggle with that because you just you saw short-term focus with trying to make immediate ends all right awesome i want to transition into your storyline of turning pro so you mentioned you turned pro around 2012 so my first question is can you take us back to what it was like to turn pro and what defines being pro what was the main turning point that goes now i'm pro i think probably being the main income and like the only income by then was uh, poker, so I was playing for around 12 hours a day, I think back then, to pay the bills and to graduate in college. In college. Um, so I think being pro is like auto, uh, self-intitulated pro. It's more about uh, a choice than everything else. No, no one is going to sign for you like a contract. Now you're a pro. Okay, take your license here. You're pro. Go, go ahead. No, it's more about uh, you're, you're committing. You're committing yourself to doing that and uh, for you, you know. It's like, I, I'm going to try to do that because a lot of people uh, still these days and like back then it was way, way, way more easier. Like people were very bad. Uh, including regs and these days we got solvers we got uh, coaches we got teams we got uh, uh, mental coaches as well we got podcasts. Uh, uh, podcasts we got a lot of info and uh, like industry industry around it that professionalized the game like you know and people are still getting okay Poker, easy money, let's try it out. And, and it doesn't work like that. I think that was the main uh, factor that kept me in the game because I committed uh, truly to what was what what I was doing. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it. So you said you decided, and I, I like that term because that's generally what happens. There's no form sign. You decide, I'm going to go pro. What changed from that moment when you decided you were all in a poker? What were some of the things that changed from a mindset perspective, but also how you were showing up in your days? I was not very kind of, I, I decided to be a pro, but I was not very professional <laughs> in my routine, my daily routine. But putting the hours in... Uh, reviewing some hands and get back getting to other players to know what they were doing and forums back then forums were the main uh, source of, source of information back then I was probably I went to college 
stay there for two or three hours, study a bit about something that I already already knew that I wasn't going to do in reality. But okay, I I need to do all that. In Brazil, we we joke about it. It's like when you get your graduate, uh, your diploma, you it's kind of the out of jail free card because you're not put put in the cells with the other people. Uh, so okay, I I had to don't take that for granted. I had to uh, graduate for real. So I was dividing my time with, between college and poker, but playing a lot of poker and deciding that, well, okay, when I, once I graduate, I want to full commit and get a coach or get uh, another source, source of information that pulls me up uh, on the lab on the ladder of the game but that came late like um, only in 2017 yeah I guess with BTS yeah so your early years although it seems like you weren't overly professional it seems like you managed to climb the the ranks so to speak fairly quickly so I think you mentioned that you got a 1k by 2014 so in the first two years mm -hmm. so talk us through that kind of fast rise to begin with I know there was some setbacks after but what was going on during mm -hmm. those initial years when you were moving up stakes originally um I think it was more about logic like if you're kind of good of about good with logic and myself i have a good time learning or is i i'm an easy learner if i visualize visualize what i'm learning like i i kind of put that in somewhere somewhere here in my mind and uh, it's way easier to access that information so i i kind of built logic blocks around the strategies and back then we do that by on paper and we have ha haven't had solvers uh, till 2015, I guess. And so it was more about taking logical decisions very frequently and not being risk averse like most of the players because people, okay, uh, we have a reg here, we are not battling, we back then people already were hunting a lot and i was okay this guy i think he's bad and so i'm gonna play him heads up i'm gonna play whoever comes and sit here so was more about learning uh, day by day on 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 the making of the process than anything else and risk averse i think it's very very important i i, I wasn't like I was already winning. I was already paying two bills, two bills both at the same time. So, okay, well, whatever comes, it's good enough. So you've got the bills paid. You're moving up quickly. You're now playing one case. You're using good logic to solve strategy, but then it all came crashing down. And you mentioned that you ended up back at 25 NL for around a year. So talk us through that kind of fall from playing one case back to 25s and what, what happened during that period? Uh, in that period of time, I a lot of uh, family pressure like family problems outside of poker uh, so I had to cash out a lot and provide to some people back then and the thing is I I, I think everyone works like that because if you, you have a problem and you can visualize a, 
the end of the problem, like not the solution, but oh, uh, it's it's gonna end, it's gonna pass in six months or so. Okay, so you prepare your mind and your routine and your daily tasks and everything to in six months, I'm going to be free again to do whatever I want and in the terms I want to do. But I had, I didn't see a light in the end of the tunnel. So uh, I, I was like very, when you said to, when you put your head out above the water, I, I didn't have that. Like I, I didn't didn't know that it was I was capable of breathing again. So uh, it was very very challenging to keep playing because I didn't have the the urge the feeling to play. I was feeling very bad about everything about myself. I started doubting if I could beat the games. I had to like if you if you think okay I had I achieved something. I break to one k nl. And now I have a downswing. I have family issues to solve. I don't know if I can get there again. And especially, I think, in the back of the, my mind, the, uh, the, the thing was, I cannot back, I can not go back to not paying bills anymore. I cannot go back to being poor. I cannot go back to having have nothing in head having not like a good future to like uh, I don't know how to phrase it but the possibility of a good future can move anyone to do some stuff to put work to engage in something but when you don't have that possibility it's kind of you you just you're drowned like in your feelings, in your emotions, in your head, in your problems, then you cannot find a solution. You and you cannot uh, do like you feel frustrated and probably depressed. <laughs> so uh, I think that was the problem there, and that led to performing like. Probably if you have a game, you're probably performing the game every day. And the game do doesn't beat the games. Like you're, you're basically a fish trying to win some hate back and trying to grind through your downswing. And so uh, I lost myself on the question. <laughs> Yeah, so it sounds like during this period, everything piled on top of you at the same time. You've got outside mm -hmm. factors for your finances. I think you got married during this time as well for another bankroll. Yeah. Kind of a strain for you. And it feels like a very dark period because you mentioned like you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I do feel like for us logical people who are quite goal-driven, we like to know where we're going. This is some direction. Mm -hmm. There needs to be some, just a glimmer, just a flicker of a light to go towards. So uh, you also mentioned during this time you were having some anxiety attacks. So if you feel comfortable, I would love to know like how you dealt with these panic anxiety attacks, what, what caused them and what were some of the things that you had to work through to, uh, to overcome some of those anxiety attacks? Uh, the main trigger was losing days for sure. Like the main trigger, because everything was piled up, like you said. So the losing days, I went to bed, like, what the fuck, what, what, I, what I'm going to do tomorrow if I lose again. 
And if I can manage to pay the bills, if I can manage to, by the time I was fiancé with my wife, well, I don't know how to phrase it. But uh, so uh, aside everything we said, I was going to get married. So another pressure, another thing to plan. I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay my, my marriage for my marriage. So everything piles up. And then I uh, started with therapy. And that was the, the main thing that get me out of the hole. Because you start, start to working on your problems and you like, I think most of our problems is more, it's bigger and most dangerous in our, our heads than it's in life itself. So it's more this perspective and this uh, projection that we have about our future and about what's happening more than anything else. So when you start working on that, um, you you kind of feel like, that there is air to breathe, that you can put your head above the water, you can see the light in the end of the tunnel, and then that there when the things started to get better. So it sounds like the therapy was a real kind of catalyst moment where it gives you a bit of a framework to deal with this, the issues you're having, but also it gives you that kind of glimmer of light of, wait a second, I can deal with this. Most of the problems are in my mind. I, once I learn to understand them and get past them, the outside world isn't as scary as I'm making it and I can move forward. So um, in terms of therapy, what sort of approach did you go for? What kind of therapy, if you know, you, you went down and what were some of the main issues you have to work through. Obviously, there's a lot going on in your life. I can I can tell at this moment, there's a lot of financial pressure. There's a lot of uh, performance pressure. What were some of the things during the therapy that you felt like or you had to work through? Um, I think the two main points were this fear, fear of getting back to where I was, like this childhood, the, this bad childhood. And um, doing with with one thing at a, at a time like uh if you try to solve anything uh, everything at once you just end up doing nothing and being very uh, overwhelmed mm. so mainly was these two things and getting things out because i'm, I'm not a very talkative person i'm not very uh, loud person so talking about the problems kind of takes them of you like you put them away okay now they are there i can deal with him with them they're not inside me and i don't know what to do with them like i address everything that that's happening so it's way easier to deal with and i think that's where the the main points and the main uh issues that i dealt with Mm. Yeah, I felt like during that period, you were quite overwhelmed because you were doing too many things at once. It sounds like the therapy, one, you dealt with your fears of maybe uh, going back to your childhood state of not having enough and not being, uh, not having any resources, but then also dealing with the kind of one-by-one -one nature of your problems. Because you mentioned earlier as well, like being present 
Um, which I'll go back to soon, being present is a really important feature for you to uh, perform at a good level, both in sports and in poker. And it sounds like the therapy was able to bring your problems to the surface enough so you could see them for one, but also you could like kind of line them up in order, trying to do, rather than doing a million things, mm-hmm. you're doing one. So uh, a follow-up question from that, what does it mean for you to be present? Like say you're, you bring things back to the present moment, you're not in your head. What does it mean to you to be, to be present? Mm. For me, I think it's, about feeling like you have to feel what's happening it's not okay i have to deal with uh it's not thinking about everything anything else it's dealing and feeling uh whatever it is that's happening in the moment for example you take a bad beat okay you can get frustrated that's normal but don't try to not get frustrated. Don't try to be anywhere else. Don't try to feel uh, happy again. That's not the point. Like feel frustrated and go on and move on. And okay, feel happy with something and move on. Like feel what's happening. I I, I think that's the, the most important thing because when, when you're feeling, you're not trying, you're not trying to do anything else. You're just trying to be. You know, you try to be here and that's it. I love that definition. Feel the moment, feel the moment and be in it. So uh, yeah, it sounds like for you, like learning to uh, be fully embraceive of your experience of life. And obviously when you're going through uh, tough times, the reason people struggle with this is because they don't want to feel fear. They don't want to feel frustration. They don't want to feel insecure. So they'll do something to override that, to suppress that feeling, to distract themselves, to not have to feel those that insecurity. But as you told her, like being present means you feel all of it. You don't always feel the happiness. You feel anything that comes into the moment and you're with that experience and you embody it. So uh, yeah, I think a lot of growth can happen in that kind of state. And that's a great mindset and a kind of Oh my God, overarching mindset to approach life from. You want to try and be present in every moment you're in. Sometimes we fail, sometimes we end up in our minds and distracted, mm-hmm. but the more you can be present, the better generally your life will go. So yeah, really resonate with that one strongly. Another thing I mentioned is like during this time as well, as things were compounding, you had poor light, uh, health habits and very unbalanced social life. So could you walk us through as things were kind of compounding for you, what were your days looking like? How was it, an average day in the life during that period? Oh my God. <laughs> Probably <laughs> that was the, that that one stuff. Um, I think I was grinding from <laughs> eleven to four or eleven to three with very short breaks between the sessions, like for two or three meals meals. Um, but basically just playing poker, getting blue light in your eyes every day and every night. And that's like sucks a lot. So wait, that's 11 a.m. to 4 a.m. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I don't sleep 11 much. 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. is like a oh, six hour session. But you're, no, you're no, no. mentioning <laughs> what, what is this? It's like a fucking 18 hour session or something. Like yeah. 15, 16 hours, yeah. And sleeping like four hours a night because I, I as uh, Wako said, I'm an early, early riser. So I was, I I went to bed like four four around four three or four a.m. and wake up at six or seven, and that probably fucked up <laughs> everything <laughs> a lot more. Like it, it 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 gets worse for sure, and. When I met people uh, on 
holidays and on weekends was mostly for drinking because it's kind of cultural here in the city where I live because we live in the mountains. So all you do when you go out is drink and eat and that's it. So it's, uh, it's the, the city in Brazil that have the most uh, pubs. Yeah, have the most pubs in Brazil. So that's what you do. And so on top of all, all we said before, I still have the drinking issues. And I didn't realize till 20, like four years ago that drinking like nah, it's not good like you got to manage that drinking socially it's okay it's fine you do whatever you want with your life you including other drugs you your your body your choices you you do whatever you want but drinking lots uh first of all for me uh it's it's depress depressing because two days from uh, uh a night where you drink a lot you you're you're down that's it. You, you, you don't have energy. You're kind of uh, feeling bad. Your body feels bad. Your mind is um, very slow. You, you're, you don't remember things very well. So if you add everything we said, I think um, that was tough because I didn't have the time to think about what was happening and I didn't have the time to feel what was happening so it's kind of okay every day is bad <laughs> and when i'm not doing the every day that's bad i'm drinking to forget that is bad and i feel worse in <laughs> the next morning and it goes on and on and well oh, it's very bad but hopefully I, uh, it passed and I, i'm where i'm at right now yeah, so we'll, we'll come to the positives of how you got out of that. But I think it's interesting to like observe this because you're obviously stuck in this cycle. And when mm -hmm. things aren't going, ba going badly for yourself, often we're under the illusion that we need to fix things. We need to do more. So for you, you're like up at 11 a.m., grinding like 16 hours at your computer because internally you're like, I need to fix this. Like you've got a strong drive to get out of your situation. You're not being lazy. You're not just sitting on the couch and just wasting time. You're working super hard. But the way you're approaching it is the inverse of what you should be. <laughs> like you mentioned, like you're you're suppressing every feeling, you're driving yourself into burnout. When you're not playing poker, feelings are probably coming up. So you're like, friends, meet those, let's have some drinks, let's get rid of all these insecurities. And there's just no time to uh, feel the moment. As you said, there's no time to be present. There's no time to uh, actually understand what direction you're going. It's almost like, to use the water analogy again, it's almost like flapping around in the water, splashing, 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 but you don't realize you can just stand up. You're in like knee, knee, <laughs> knee water, and you stand up and go, oh, all right, actually, what am I splashing for? And you pick your direction. It's still difficult. You're still going to make moves. There's still resistance to the water pushing against you, but you can stop being directional. So um, I'm interested to know the therapy sound like a kind of breakthrough moment for you. So I'm very interested to know what happened next. Let's say we've got this glimmer of light that things can turn around. How did you start to get yourself back on track and out of this kind of downward cycle you were in? Yeah, things very, like I said, day by day. So you start seeing things you put them out you go okay now i'm gonna address and organize and rank them um, on priorities and let's put things together and move on so uh first of all i think probably when the the family issue uh 
kind of solved itself. I, I solved it, but when it dissolved in the air, mm -hmm. uh, the air wasn't thick enough. Then, and I, I was like, kind of, okay, now let's go. Let's do what I got to do. And now that I already know how to do it, all I have to do is um, do it. <laughs> like <laughs> a lot of dudes in, in one phrase, but that was the thing. So that when I, I put my mind on, okay, let's get uh, help from someone who knows more, knows better than me in poker and to fast track and to get where I was at again. So I did that by the time I was, was with BTS, right? Like I said, and I talked with my wife that it helped, my, helped me a lot because when we said, okay, let's try it again. Let's try it one more time. Let's give it a last shot to like, make, kind of dissipate the tension of when it's going to happen, when it's going to start to work out again and like what now okay so what now now we are going to join the cfp we are going to put one one year fully committed to this thing whatever they say i'm going to do whatever they do doing i'm going to do by the time i tested a lot of uh, for example med meditation but it doesn't work that well for me uh, but that was when i when i get back to, to the gym and that like physical activity is, is oh, the, I think it's the best you can do for your mental health uh, no brainer pick if you I had to pick one thing is I first don't drink alcohol but second uh, do physical activities whatever you like uh, whenever you can but don't get okay this guy they say you i have to do 20 minutes oh 30 minutes no 40 minutes a day of uh hit uh h-i-i-t um no no do whatever you can the way you can but do it that's the thing your your, your body and your older you is going to uh thank you later so i think that yeah yeah and then the thing just started uh, adding up, building, and like I get to the point that I wasn't wasn't the base of the pyramid anymore. <laughs> so when you get to the middle of it, you you start to pick what you get, uh, what you like, and what works, what don't work. You have energy and you have room to try things out, and you're not uh, like you don't mind them to fail anymore because I think that's something that holds you back when you don't have that, uh, that energy, that time that uh, you know, when you're not that high in the scale uh, on, on the pyramid. So that's very important and probably what get me to where I am right now. Yeah, I find it interesting that it wasn't like one big moment or anything 
major that happened. You solved a few life issues. You had the therapy sessions that had a breakthrough, but you mentioned like one day at a time. It was just like forward momentum. I think sometimes we underestimate getting momentum in our direct, in the right direction, whether it's going for exercise, it's showing for your study sessions, it's putting consistent volume, it's looking after your mindset and your getting your life in balance and doing that day after day after day. And at first it feels really insignificant. You're still broke. You still got no money. Bills are still overdue. Mm -hmm. Nothing's working. And then you might, oh, you want to rush things again, but that forward momentum for you, for yourself, it sounded like over time, uh, it, it may have a really big impact. And I think you mentioned with your wife, you decided to have a, a final shot. So I want to I touch on that actually a little bit because you mentioned that you made that decision together. So um, I'm guessing you two have a very strong relationship and she's played a big role. So uh, how has your wife helped you for this time? Because it sounds like a lot of people's partners uh, may, may question them during this time going, what are you doing? Why don't you play, do, do something else? But it sounds like your partner was able to uh, support you during the lowest moment really. So uh, how did she, how was she there for you? Yeah. If, if you think about us both, like as partners, I'm more like the dark side of the yin and he's the bright side of the, is the young. I think it's like that because he's just like, okay, no, it's going to work. Let's do it. Okay. Let's have a life. Let's travel. Let's uh, know people. Let's move abroad. He, he, she, she, she wants to do everything at once. So it helped me to deal with her and her feelings. But this kind of people by your side is like, uh, uh, I, I don't have words for that. It's uh, an, an estimate, like it don't, it's priceless because she always sees the bright side of things and she's always trying to move forward and do new things and try things out and reaching to goals that I, 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 said, I say to her all the time, okay, that's not, never going to happen. Stop, stop thinking like that. But she's, she kept picking and she's, she's not going to change. And I, I love that, love her for not changing and being this way. So it kind of, um, uh, back to what we said, like, feels good to be near. It's a, a person that you, you, you always uh, want around you when you, if it's a friend or wife, whatever, but you want her around you because it, she's always going to cheer you up. And that's very important. So of course, that's not, not always perfect, but uh, this mentality to captain this subject uh, helps a lot, like help infinite. Yeah, I think we all need someone around us who, uh sees more for ourselves than we can see. Like they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're a robot that pushes us to get that next level. Could be a friend, could be a coach, could be a mentor, could be a partner. But somebody like gets you to question like, how far can you go? Can you push things further? Maybe you're that person, maybe you're the guy who drives everyone around you. But most of us need someone around us to, uh, when we're in our low points to tell us, come on, keep going. We've got more in the tank. We can do more than what we're doing currently. So it uh, sounds like your wife was that perfect role model, perfect kind of person to be around you at that time to push you to go further. I like that you, uh, you said you made the decision together for doing your report career. It was a joint decision. I really like that, the unity of you two guys coming together to uh, decide on the path. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to know, uh, during this patch, what kind of skills and character traits did you have to develop? All right, so we've got a point where you're almost like breaking down, you're playing poker like crazy hours, your life's all out of balance, you're trying to make things work, but things aren't. But then you come to the side and you've got some momentum going again. What's some, what are some skills and character traits that you developed during that patch that have set you up for the rest of your career? Mm, I think 
probably let's think about it from going. Okay, I think consistency, consistency uh, is the most important because if you do not put uh, consistently the effort and uh, for example, you're a very uh, a person getting back to the start of the podcast. Uh, if you're a good player, good, good fo football player, you have a lot of talent. Uh, if you don't de develop the other skills need needed to be a player of the sport you're playing, with time passing and people consistently putting the work and the effort and work and etc. On these skills uh, of, you know, uh, that the, the sports need specifically, they are going to out you, right? They, they are going to be better than you and the talent is not that important anymore. So, and, and it's not uh, what differentiates you anymore because if you know how to do a nutmeg but you don't know how to pass, no one wants you in the team. Okay, go to the bench and wait your time. And, uh, and I think consistency is the most important thing that I learned by the, this time. Uh, and what, what else? I think consistency, yeah, is the most important one. Because yeah, the, the other ones you can work on, right? If you consistently work on the things that you're not developed enough or good enough, you're eventually going to get better and be good enough at that then mm. yeah i think consistency played out on a long time frame just the results are ridiculous like how far you can get when you compound a little bit a little one percent extra one percent extra day after day and this kind of kind of story arc that we're on right now this wasn't quick this was like five years of your life from like 2012 to 2017 going through this but being consistent showing up day after day and getting the momentum in your in your favor I think by this time you're probably setting goals. Well, actually, I'm interested to know during this point where you you started to get back in, like on the momentum in your favor. What were some of the, the new goals that opened up for you? So you've already played one case in the past. Were you trying to get back to those one cases as quick as possible, or did you have some new goals that you were targeting at this stage? Uh, the goal was mainly to get as high as I can, probably, and like no, can one K? I I know I can do. The games are different for sure because we had back then we hadn't had uh solvers and in 2017 solvers was was already very um, popular so like okay if i have put the right work in on the right direction with the right people have helping me out where can i get to so let's say let's try 1k first and that was my first goal and then i get to 500 and was a bit hard to get by but i just kept going like okay let's when like everyone say trust the process let's let's see whatever it can get me and I get to what, like, these days I can say I, I'm a regular at 5K. 10K don't runs that much, but I think 5K is good enough, and I'm I'm kind of proud of getting here. 
and now it's more about bankroll and the risk I, risks I want to take than anything else. And like, I'm not going to play <laughs> Stefan or Linus <laughs> again, because that was very, uh, was a very poor decision by me. But besides that, I think uh, any day I'm, I, I feel like doing it, I can do it. So I think that, that I reached where I wanted to. Yeah, I climbed the mountain. So for you, we had these like 2012 <laughs> to 2017, quite turbulent years, quite up, quite down. And you mentioned like you weren't very professional during this period. And then you mentioned like around 2017, you become fully committed. So I want to know like what was the full commitment change and how did things progress from that moment? Um, changing, uh, like giving up on some things i think that's the most like i okay i'm not going to drink uh on sunday for example because when i drink on sunday uh the first three days of the working the first three working days of the week are kind of uh whatever so giving up of some things like and going to bed earlier um establishing a routine to of studying and grinding and following it uh whatever you can and uh but when, when i say it feels like it's very uh it's just a few things but that's it. it's just a few things mm -hmm. like okay you're gonna work out, you're not going to drink that much, you're going to study every day, you're going to grind every day, as you said before. And ah, okay, and that's what was a major big difference that I wasn't remembering, but now I it get back to me. It was uh get time off poker, like rest. You need to rest, like rest. That's it, because like travel. Travel, for example, is the best way you can rest your body and your mind and uh, do that because uh, I was on the mindset of, okay, I have to work every day, every time I can, because if I don't, don't uh, people are going to get better than me. People are going to win more money than me. I'm going to lose the edge that I have on them. I'm not going to pay the, the two bills at the same time. What the fuck? No. So when you rest, you, like, your body needs to rest. We are not mach machines. And that's the, the beauty of the game and of life itself. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think for yourself, like, though you said it seemed like small changes, it's a very big mindset shift. And it's almost like thinking about your whole life in terms of how do I perform my best? What behaviors am I doing that aren't contributing to that? Whether it's drinking alcohol, staying up late, uh, not taking time off. And you started like really think about your career professionally and go, right, what do I need to be doing to show up as my best self? And it's it's so interesting, like as you uh, climb high into the performance kind of avenues, you see the highest performers are just way better at rest. They're way better at recovery. Like the, the guys who are grinding and outworking people at the bottom, but when you get to the, the highest levels, they're all good at, at recovery because you need to be to perform at a high level. So in terms of taking breaks, you mentioned traveling, anything else you fit in on a regular basis that is help with recovery or uh, helps you to uh, rest from pocket? Uh, time with my pets, my <laughs> I love them uh, and 
the, yeah, the dopamine, dopamine shot that I get every day and every time. Um, and being close to the ones you love and doing things you enjoy and like uh, especially in poker we have a lot of time and sometimes when you have a lot of free time feels like you have like infinite infinite time to spare but you don't so use that time use that flexibility use that uh like i was talking i think i was talking to george one time like like george from b2b a long time ago and saying when we get to this industry and we get to some levels sometimes we forget that why the reason we joined it at first you know so okay i'm gonna play poker because i can make make money and i'm the boss of myself and I like have this whole time I can work from anywhere. And five years from then, you you look at yourself and you're working nine to five, <laughs> and you're stuck in your home. You never travel. You never spend time with the ones you like. Like, and you're most like okay. I had to work. Uh, I have to work more. I have to work more to win more money. But win more money for what? Like that's a lot. Uh, I ask this question for to my students a lot because they okay i have to grind uh on especially on ignition uh late night uh from 10 to 5 and i ask them okay and you who you live with what they think about it wait because you wake up at noon and people already living their days and when they are free you are just working again and how how do you balance your life and how how this money is compensating for the time you're losing with the ones you like and i, I think that's a question we gotta do every day to ourselves in independent of what we are working uh, on uh, what projects we have in mind we we have to ask that all the time i think yeah. Yeah, so it's so important to remind yourself of why you're doing it. Why are you working hard? Why are you trying to, make, trying to make money? That isn't the end goal. The end goal is generally to have a better life, to spend it with your loved ones, to do more fun things. And we can get into the trap of more, more, more. Always trying to get, make more money, always trying to play higher stakes. I'm forgetting that, wait a second, like, when do I start having fun? When do I start enjoying my life? Mm -hmm. When do I create that balance? And yeah, we can get very out of sync with that. So yeah, I think it's a, a daily question, at least a, like a, a monthly question to check in with yourself and go, right, am I enjoying my life? Am I doing the things for the right reasons? Am I yeah, achieving the kind of things I want in life and also enjoying the journey? Because I think if you sacrifice too many todays for tomorrows, you end up almost like alienating yourself from the fun experience of life and often the people that you want to be around. But yeah, reconnecting with that and realizing, wait a second, if you could see your life five years ago, where you are now, you'd be like, oh my God, wow, you're there. You're right there. Enjoy it. Savor it. Do, do what you can with it. So yeah, I think getting that blend right, obviously you still want to work hard. You still want to achieve more things, but I think also smell the roses, so to speak, as you're on that journey is so, so important. Hi guys, Rene aka The Wacko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement. In our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. 
we'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, René, how about yourself when you were uh, during your poker career? Was there any moments where you decided that you were fully committed? So uh, Matthias talked about 2017, a year where a few things clicked and you went, right, I'm going to approach poker more serious now. Was there any, any kind of shift in points for yourself where you went into kind of full commitment mode? Mm, I guess various, various points. Um, I think for me, what I think holded me back to going to full commitment mode and think bigger was, I guess, fear. If you look look deep down, but a bit more on a superficial level, it was just not big ambitions. But I guess not big ambitions were maybe hold back by fear. So when I was fully committed to become like one of the best, that's when I started to take more actions that were in line with trying to become the best instead of like, Oh, well, uh, it's exactly what I just said. You're in a game with a recreational, you think you're winning and that's it. Whereas if you don't set higher goals, you're not going to do extra work to win more. So for me, it was really the big change in terms of really like committing uh, was just having a bigger goal. Like trying to, you know, you don't have to become number one, but at least trying to strive to become the best. And then having that mindset and exactly then you see what Mateos also said, you start to think about, oh, should I maybe sleep more so I can perform better next day? Hey, that seems like in line with my goals because I'm trying to become the best. Oh, should I maybe not drink? Because when I don't drink, I perform better. And, you know, poker is played with your brain. So alcohol, bad for your brain. So maybe not drinking is probably GTO, right? And then stuff like that. Oh, yeah, maybe I should exercise because I'm sitting all the time. And if, you know, if your body's moving, hey, I notice I feel more concentrated, right? And you start to optimize everything around it because you have a clear goal. And then also, I think it's easy to not get distracted. For example, if there, you know, if your friends are every time going nights out or something, I would always, for example, I would join with my friends to dinner, and then uh, afterwards we would get a drink. Well, I would get usually a sparkling water with lemon. That's my to-go drink in the weekends. You know, during the day we drink non-sparkling, and in the weekends we drink sparkling. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> that 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 that's rough weekends. Uh, but then like if, if it started to reach 12 o'clock, I was like, okay, I'm out. 
You know, I have my fun time with my friends, important. Usually whatever happens after 12, usually, you know, it, it declines pretty hard in terms of the quality of <laughs> the experience. It's like, it's going to be very shit. Nine out of 10 times, but one out of 10 times is going to be amazing. That's kind of the dilemma of anything that happens after 12 and there's a lot of alcohol involved, right? Usually the most mm -hmm. legendary things will happen, but nine out of 10 times, it just, it, it got way worse after 12, right? That's kind of how I experienced it. So then it's like, for me, the decision is quite easy. No, uh, uh, poker is very important to me. I've done my social life. So if people then try to get me out of my schedule or like, it's very clear because what I want is very clear. So I already made the decision. So nothing can distract me because that's my decision. It's already made. So I don't have to think. And I noticed nowadays it's, it's a bit more different because I feel like I'm less committed to something. So I feel like my attention gets dragged more to the right and the left because I don't, at the moment, I don't have a clear answer for myself. You know, I get easily distracted. Oh yeah, but this is also important to me. Maybe also, you know, where we're, you get older, other things also become more important. So I'm less willing to maybe sacrifice certain things and I haven't made up my mind what's truly important. Now suddenly everything is important. So reflecting on this, you know, is probably something I should maybe sit down for some less and uh, uh, less put in different directions, I would say. But yeah, I've, I've been listening to, uh, to a lot of your conversation. There's a lot of good stuff. You mentioned the consistency, right? Everyone knows consistency is key, but there's, I, th I think the overall theme of what I was listening is just a certain level of consciousness. So you notice presence because yeah, everyone knows that consistency is key, but still people are inconsistent. So you need to have a certain level of consciousness and a certain level of presence to be able to reflect on why am I inconsistent in which areas am I, in am I inconsistent and why is that? For example, you did a lot of therapy work. I did personally a lot of therapy work myself as well. And what this does, it starts to make you conscious of certain patterns, right? Right. You have certain coping mechanisms in your life, why you deal with certain emotions. Therefore, you always shown this behavior due to an event that has happened maybe in your past. And once you become present of those and present with your emotions as well, right? When you're no longer scared for it because you kind of know like, okay, so this is where it comes from. I don't no longer have to be scared for it. I think this is a big part as well. Uh, then you can start to see like, oh, I'm inconsistent. Because, you know, there's something triggered in me when this and this happens. For example, you, you mentioned big losing days uh, that trigger, trigger anxiety. And probably those, that anxiety triggers certain behavior, right? So when you become more conscious of that, you can see, okay, because of certain things that have happened in my life, I've created certain coping mechanisms that has led me to become inconsistent in my poker grind, right? I cannot play the same amount of good volume because of this anxiety. And the anxiety is triggered by losses, which are, you know, a problem because of my childhood. You, you see kind of the, the link that I'm trying mm -hmm. to make there and everyone has like patterns like this. And once you become more present of it, more conscious, that's when you can start to create, make changes, right? So you're no longer a slave of your own installed programs, traumas, etc. So I think on this area, uh, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but in the Netherlands, if you say that you go to therapy, they automatically think there's something wrong with you. I think this is just a general, right? Yeah, when you seek way. help, people think something is wrong. It's a general mentality. I think it's a very flawed mentality. Right. Um, for example, like uh, I uh, with, with my wife. Okay, to be fair, you initiate relationship therapy when you know the certain things that don't maybe don't really work out. So that's maybe already like six years ago that we started that. But still, up until today, on a very low frequency basis, I like to schedule, and then we can talk about certain things. Right. It's not that we can, but I see it way more as a coach nowadays. I think the word <laughs> therapist, it's just like it's, it's it's a coach, just like. 
Adam is a coach, just like you know you do coaching, just like I do coaching. It's like you're 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 gathering knowledge. Therapy, because because of the word therapy, people have a certain association thinking something's wrong with you, right? To be fair, there's something wrong with everyone if you're willing to look, right? Mm-hmm. Again, that's just <laughs> it, it depends on the level of consciousness. And I think when you go on the pursuit of poker, right, you become conscious of it. Just the way the game is designed, I think a lot of your if you have some issues, you know, they get triggered. And I think, you know, then because you set certain goals and you see that certain traumas might limitate you. And, you know, that's that wall I think you mentioned, right? That's in front of where you want to go. And the only way to do this is to break down the wall, so to speak. And the therapist can help you break down the wall. So going through it then becomes the way. So, uh, yeah, I think that's... uh, a lot of good stuff. I wanted to ask, you mentioned uh, meditation was something that didn't really work for you. Um, mm-hmm. How did you then cultivate this sense of presence? And because, because you mentioned presence a lot, right? You're very present with your uh, with your emotions. Being in the present, for example, you also mentioned relax. relaxing is very important. So you spend time with your pets and your loved ones. But I'm sure you've experienced it. A lot of poker players experience it. I've experienced it. Then you do take time off, but you're only physically taking time off because in your mind you're still thinking <laughs> about the fucking spew you made. Like, why the hell did I make that call? And in the meantime, you know, you're hugging your pet or your loved one, but it's not the same. So how how have you cultivated that? And how do you uh, switch off from poker so you can actually relax when you spend, for example, time with your pets or loved ones? I think this uh, the switch from I'm playing, uh, I'm solving problems to okay, now I'm living my life. Uh, it's very important because otherwise you don't take your head off poker ever. And you're just working 24-7 in your mind and you're going to be restless and very tired, etc., etc. So I, I kind of... Kind of, I don't know what I, what I do. I don't know the, the mechanism how it works itself but uh i go go away off the table i get off the table uh we are like still thinking about the game okay i think about the plays we're making and then i go and do something that i like to like eat something that you like uh or eat if yeah, if it in your diet or not, I I don't know, but eat something that you like or do something that you like, enjoy. And what for me it's eating and navigating like TikTok, for example, <laughs> and seeing like uh, some cute cat on TikTok or maybe uh, dealing with my wife and tickling her and doing whatever that I like. So kind of the brain switches from uh, solving problems or switch from fighting to being like, okay, now you're relaxed, you're fine, everything's fine. And then I go back to the table and solve the problems that I was thinking when I just left. And when I solve then okay, I have no problems today, the day is done. Yeah, okay, I, I have that more. Let's say, for example, I played my session. There's certain things that I, so I'm definitely less less involved in this area. I need to, I need to review certain things just to to make. Else, they will just stay stay stuck in my mind. I already know. 
and I, I try to try to let go, but there's just certain things that I feel like I have to resolve. I, I've been trying to make improvements on this, right? You mentioned a lot of presence. Okay. And then this, for example, this is kind of a coping mechanism that I figured out like through therapy. Oh, so there I have, I deal with a certain insecurity because for example, a hand, and if I don't review that hand, that insecurity stays, stays there. Oh, you see cat lover yeah. <laughs> right there. Like the insecurity, you know, it's, it's the, that, that feeling stays there. And I need to resolve that hand in order for the insecurity to go away. Whereas now I'm also trying to be more like, okay, well, you know, I feel insecure and that's okay. Right. That's, that's also something that you mentioned, just to be present with your emotions instead of, I have to review this hand to take, to get rid of this insecurity that I feel about a certain hand that I played. Right. Something I feel, I see a lot of players and people doing are like, okay, I know I'm not, for example, I'm not good, uh, in three bad pots. Mm -hmm. I'm lacking in three bad pots out of position. I don't know how to barrel uh, the second barrel, what region of the cards are good for me, what are not, uh, which are not. And they kind of close the eyes and look the other way instead of solving it, you know? Like, okay, I'm insecure about, about my game, but I don't know, I, I don't want to know how bad is my game for mm. real i so see that a lot so that's then maybe i mean adam you can definitely hop in there i'm sure you have something interesting to say my first instinct would be that like they they could not handle if they see the truth about how bad they yeah. actually are in that spot yeah i think the ego trying to avoid confronting its own incomplete self and sometimes we would rather be right um or at least think we're right and not find out the truth and yeah it's generally a coping strategy which is generally people are insecure and they build a construct of being right they like to be right they don't like to be questioned they don't like confronting their limitations so they'd rather not know it's the people the kind of people who say things like i could be really good at that if i tried i just didn't try at that it's almost like they, they don't quite push themselves because they don't want to uh, to find out with the limited so yeah i think they're not facing the truth in those scenarios um yeah it's a character trait there yeah, for sure. Like what, what basically what Mateo is saying, you can use this sense of insecurity as a sign that maybe you're understudied in a certain area, correct? Mm -hmm. It's more that I think the evolution from an emotional perspective that I more made is that if I would now take action on it, it's more because I want to and not because I'm a slave of the insecure emotions that force me to have to review the helm because else I cannot continue on with my life. You understand what I mean? <laughs> it's a different, uh -huh. it's a, it's a different sort of frame. Mm -hmm. Like you once did something to erase an emotion. Okay. And now you can be present with the emotion of insecurity and you can be okay with it and then still want to review the hand, but more from a, you're no longer a slave of your emotions, basically. Right. You're more conscious of the action you took based on the emotion that was present. And for mm -hmm. me, this leads to a whole nother game of consciousness, of presence. And you can really zoom out and be like, you know, you kind of see see yourself as a third person. You see yourself doing behavior, see yourself feeling in certain ways. And once it starts to make more sense of where things come from and you start to understand it, also you're no longer overwhelmed by the emotion. For example, if a certain if a, yeah. a emotion comes up, for example, you were talking about like anxiety around losing not or going back to something, most probably when that now comes up again and you know what it is, you're no longer afraid of it. This was actually a question that I actually wrote down for you. Like, do you still experience to a certain degree? Let's say you go on a very big downswing 
like more recently do you then still maybe experience some similar emotions but because now you know where it came from and you did the work with your therapist you're less overwhelmed by it uh, uh, uh i i think i can say yes but like like i said to you a few days ago yeah i was experiencing a downswing on one one k or five k i don't remember but i i still had the drive to play i like to play a lot but i didn't know i was playing uh i didn't know how bad i was playing so my coping mechanism with okay i'm down and i'm down i'm kind of frustrated i know that i'm not playing my best but i don't know right now what i can do to change it but i do feel like i need to still play still get out, out of this hole but uh still get better like still because when you're down on a down when you're uh, far from your a game you're basically uh showing your weakness all the time yeah. you're showing all the time they are there everyone can see and they're just more, more clear for everyone your mistakes and your leaks so what i did last month was like <laughs> you mocked me about it was okay let me play uh 50k hands of 200 because wow. if i lose whatever fuck it but still i can use that sample to know where i'm deviating from my main game my a game when i'm playing c game and work on that later when i I'm not on the mindset of uh, of a down. So basically, you, know? you were you noticed that you were playing bad, but you couldn't really grasp how that bad play looked like. So you hopped in the 200 now zoom pool, grind 50k hands, so you can then look at those hands, and yeah. then <laughs> they can look at your stats and be like, okay, so if I'm playing bad, this is what I do. Exactly. That's actually so, okay. that's actually that's actually very smart. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Another thing that, uh, getting back to the other question, but that I remember, uh, and probably us all, did, we all did it sometime or on a certain period of our career, is labeling regs with the good reg table, no, good reg label. And yeah, you do that more when you're, in a, when you're not playing well, right? No, actually, I, I don't do that anymore. I don't label anything, uh, anyone good, good rag. Yeah, this is actually funny. Yeah, I, so I used to, I, I used to have a gold tag, and I would tag a lot of people gold. But I noticed I would get intimidated by that. So at some point, exactly. I changed, and I only give myself the gold tag, and no one else has a gold tag. It was kind of a, <laughs> a, a sort of a, uh, a sort of a mental solution. But what actually I noticed, like the better you, the better you're playing the more you become aware of other people, how bad other people are, because you know, you're constantly in a game. So I, I find myself, if I'm playing very bad, I suddenly start to change people's tags that are usually players, you know, I don't think are that great. And I change them to normal, normal rack tag. Uh -huh. and, when, and, and then when I'm playing very well again, I'm like, did I give this guy a normal rack tag? He's terrible, bad rack tag. <laughs> so it's, it, it sometimes changed based on yeah, how well I'm playing, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that, that's that, that's a quite quite interesting. But uh, yeah, for because... example, are there like some some specific things? For example, I know for myself when I become a bit more 
I guess I guess there's two things that I can see. I can become very pessimistic uh, and might give up a bluff because I don't see him folding. Basically, it's pure emotions. It's just like, yeah, this is not gonna work, and I might just give up a bluff that was actually a printing a printing bluff spot, for example. And I notice I go fall into a bit of a victim sort of mentality. I'm less capable of making uh, strong folds with very strong hands because I'm like, oh yeah, here we go again. You know, I have a set. The, the motherfucker probably with the flush, but I'm not folding. It's like I almost. Hmm. How would I describe this, Adam? Help me out here. Uh, like it's it's almost like I want the pain. I want to see. I want to see the pain. Like <laughs> I'm gonna call because I have a set, but I'm 100 percent sure you ripped the flush. Whereas if you're in a not compromised state, I guess we could call it that way. You're just like, ah, here's a flush. Oh, thanks, man. Easy fault, and you feel very happy about it. But when I'm in a bad state of mind, then I notice like I'm uh, I'm snap calling off, and it's like almost like I want to feel bad. Does that make sense? Or you can explain us now why. You know, for poker players that can associate with the story, why this makes sense? Yeah, well, you get to uh, feel good about being right. There's a weird feeling that, like, even though you're gonna lose, but you like predict that. Look how bad I'm gonna run. It's the kind of guy who like gets off on uh, being the guy who runs bad. I run bad all the time. See, look how bad I'm running. It reinforces that narrative, and they get to be almost like self-righteous in the fact that they're losing, they're suffering, and it almost like yeah, it masks the pain. It almost like it brings this kind of ego to the front and it makes you feel smart about being right about it. And yeah, you take, you hold on to that and you don't care about the money. You care about the, the being right and being smart. And often a lot of poker players have a strong identity about being clever, about being smart. So you're like, yep, see, look how smart I am. He had it. He had it again. I give him all of my money, but he had it. Uh, so yeah, there's an element of the, the ego running riot there. This is like the classic Daniel Negreanu league that he used to always have. You know, in the, when we grew up playing poker, it was always Daniel Negreanu always said, yeah, I knew it, and he always paid off. Standard. Mm -hmm. It's all videos. If you look at YouTube, Daniel Granu always paid off. I don't know what he does, uh, if, if he still does that up until today. Uh, probably not. He, he, has, he has probably evolved. But I think a very important thing here, again, is we come back to present and consciousness. Because a lot of players, they might start doing these kind of things, but they don't notice it, right? The improvement is that maybe early on in your career, you might find out three months later that you've been playing Tilted for three months, right? And the goal is to mm -hmm. try to improve that. For example, actually, both both scenarios that we just talked about, I, I played a session yesterday. And to be fair, going in, I was already like, hmm, I I I'm, I'm I have to be careful here because I already feel like I'm not in a great state. And then fucking Sunny Sunny stacked me straight away with Ace against King. So <laughs> I was like, hmm. So this is how the session is going to be. You know, at least I gave the money yeah, to Sunny. You know, so <laughs> that that's that that's not too bad. Uh, and then I. It was actually it was specifically against Sonny. Seriously, we played eight hands. He won all eight hands. And I was like, and then <laughs> the ninth hand or, or the eighth hand, I don't know. It felt like eight hands. Maybe it was six. But then the eighth hand, there was a clear bluff spot before I already mm -hmm. spewed off some money before that. It was the clearest bluff spot. And there was just like, I gave up purely because I just was like, yeah, this, this guy, he wins every hand against me. Like there was no logic whatsoever. If you look at the logical points, it was like the clearest you know how like in a solver, some bluffs are just there so your value gets called, but there's other situations where bluffs actually make money. This was just clear. I don't know. If you look at the solver, I was making, you know, one, two BB with my bluff. It was the clearest bluff ever and I gave it up. And immediately when I saw that, I was like, hmm, this is, this is I'm tilt. Or at least mm -hmm. something went wrong. Unfortunately, I had to lose another stack where exactly that victim mentality came up where I had like 
two pair. I knew the guy that flushed, but yeah, exactly, exactly those points. Now the difference is, I noticed it straight away after one session because I'm very conscious about the emotion that I'm feeling. So you know, and then I can now take from that and I immediately notice after that that boost of motivation. Right? There were a lot of things that were still on my to-do list for studying. Bam! Straight away, quit my session early, back to the lab. Right? So you can also then use the downswing as as fuel and motivation. And this is, I think, the good thing, right? We talked about this before, like the good thing of of a downswing. I actually had another question for you, uh, Mateus, because you at some point mentioned like, oh, I'm 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 here now, and you know, I don't longer have to cope with having to decide between the two bills I have to pay. So it's a free roll sort of from here mentality. Why why did you have that mentality? And not the mentality of I'm here now, I don't want to lose it. Right? Because you push through to like 1K. You said you started to battle everyone. It didn't really matter to you because you know you already sort of made it, right? But why were you not afraid to lose it back? Because I can imagine a lot of players they want they will stay stuck because they're like, oh why? Now I don't have to choose between the two bills. I don't want to lose this. Why? Yeah, uh, why? Like what 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 in your mentality? I think prob- it's probably first personality trait because, for example, when I, when I, I talk to a lot of people, I know that conundrum of you have two buttons. One, you win 100K 100% of the time and the, one, the other one, you win 1 million, but like 50% of the time. And people always play the 1 million. And I always not always play the 100 and I always play the 1 million. Because, okay, whatever, I have time. Like, I have a life to live. I have a lot of things to do. Why not to, like, kind of gamble the, because mathematically, the 1 million button is the correct one. But people think, okay, no, I, I got to, uh, like, guarantee my wins, I got to get, for example, it's like a lot of people that uh, operates on the the financial market. They want to win every time. What the fuck? How do you want to win every time? It's like impossible. The, the, the people, and they always get, they always get scammed with the ones uh, uh, making promises of 5% guarantee every month. And why how do you think someone is guaranteeing you that because like if no one else on the planet is doing that like they would not sell it sell to be it. fair this can also just be your brazilian skepticism i know brazilians are very skeptical <laughs> yeah no true like like special... my wife for example she always when, when someone just does something nice he's always like hmm hmm <laughs> This guy's trying to, they're, they're, <laughs> Try to something. Get something. like I'm naturally like very trustful. I'm like, oh, that's very nice. And I was like, what's this guy up to? Yeah, I think it's more about my personality than any, anything else. But... I was curious, like going through this period, how did your association with taking risk change? Like uh... in terms of how comfortable you were taking risks mm-hmm. in the beginning compared to after you've experienced it. Uh, in the beginning, I was taking very high risks. Well, my my his risk tolerance was very high. 
but once but once I experienced the the down and the, this like dark period, I was very risk averse for a long time. Probably two or three years. I j just wanted to guarantee my I don't know forty buyings a month of one hundred and L two hundred and L's something like that. And but then the mentality of okay that my life is going to be dead for the next ten years. No, I'm I'm not I'm not satisfied with that. And then I was back to my risk averse version. <laughs> and uh, therapy help a lot because uh, it, it a, a lot of the time there uh, a big period of time was about okay now that you get there where you at you gotta go for more the, like don't get don't get stuck in the feeling of not getting back to where you at like go ahead go for more uh what you have nothing for them the the reality is nothing is guaranteed even if you have money in your bank the bank can go bankrupt and you lose everything and okay that, that's a like fictional numbers that are on a bank account that you can check but it doesn't it is exist what is this with exist is uh, like your health uh your day-to-day -day, your uh concepts of good and bad what you like you what you don't like that what exists the other things you can go behind and go go after if you want it and you have time and energy and health to to go for them i, I think that's the my mindset right now hmm. yeah no, that, that make that, that actually makes a lot of sense actually i was thinking also about the buttons situation about 100k and 1 million so i guess it's not let's say for example you already have a comfortable life the decision mm -hmm. should be very easy right but let's mm -hmm. say you live on the street oh of course you get then the, probably the 100k uh, is not a bad idea yeah. right because like sure. the the consequence of not, of losing the flip are too big whereas if you mm -hmm. if you already have a comfortable life and basically 100k more or less is not going to change much Right, then probably a million could make a change. So I guess mm -hmm. it, it, I guess the correct is also kind of depends on uh, yeah, it depends on yeah your no situation. for sure like yeah yeah your your context where you where you at in life and be, having room to make a mistake I think that's very important yeah because when you if you you don't have that you're living on the streets you you don't have room to make yeah, mistakes bank bank bankroll management right there yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the risk of yeah. Uh, going back to um, basically your rise because you're playing Hunter now, and then four years later, you know, we are here where we are today. You're playing uh, playing uh, some of the highest online games that are available. You already mentioned, I think, throughout a couple of times, you joined uh, BTS, Bluff the Spot. Shout out to Mr. Mm -hmm. Sherdog. Um, I was curious. He, they probably had a very big impact. You already mentioned in terms of your mentality. From a technical perspective, what were like some of the aha moments or breakthroughs that you had that really helped you evolve your game? Mm, there or like... yeah, there. So let, let's there? let's start there because I'm also in general you you you've been seeking coaches mm -hmm. 
but then we can get that into that later. Um, aha like I, I don't believe much in aha moments. I think everything, like maybe something you learned uh, three years ago just clicks now, then when you learn something new that connects with that uh, knowledge. What was something build... that clicked for you then? Was... Uh, yeah, maybe also something skill? like you, 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 you maybe thought about, but were maybe so insecure about and you needed, for example, that confirmation of that coach and therefore mm -hmm. you could really you could really grasp it, click it. Uh, that's possible to make it. Like a lot of guys joined playing... Uh, in L50 or 100 and ended up on 1K. So that's shift the mentality because, okay, it's possible to, in one year time frame, to get as high as that, as this. And um, I think probably, some, I, I don't know, okay. I remember one lesson from from Walter that he was saying like okay this frequency or this size or this shit here in the solver it doesn't matter in, in reality like these are numbers and this is just going to play uh, uh, are going just to give you the output of this calculation that you're putting in the solver but in reality is something very different so if in reality is different, you your job is like to seek out and find how different is that and what you're going to do about it. I think, yeah, I think something like that. I heard a mix of Charlie Carroll and uh, Mr. Sherdog. Charlie Carroll said, what's your opponent's range and what you're going to do about it? So that's kind no. of how, <laughs> how, how, you, how you ended. <laughs> but hey, you know, we can give shout outs here. But that's that's very true. How, how did your experience, let, let's say you had that lesson and afterwards you went to the tables, how did your experience of playing poker change? Like there was a certain mindset shift now. It's like, oh, wow. So actually what I'm supposed to do is kind of dependent on the inputs, right? That's kind of the main lesson, I guess, right? There's certain outputs they, they show you here, but yeah, in reality, the range might be different. The way he reacts might be different. Yeah, it feels lighter, like to play because you you don't have the pressure to click the right button for example ah. yeah because the right button there is no right button so is, uh, yeah. i mean there is a right button but there is no, no there, right yeah button. yeah I, I get what you mean i hope the listeners also get what you mean uh, uh so it, it feels free like you you feel free to play okay i guess play. It's, it's, it's you're also being i think your intuition is probably free i, I think that might describe that feeling because you're trying to intellectually put all these solver outputs in your brain right you're trying to memorize everything it's very hard but intuitively you, you might feel like yeah but the correct play here is different because i've seen the situation already i don't know how many times and intuitively i feel like the range is different so maybe when he said that what actually happened was it gave room for your intuition to say ah mateus finally <laughs> you know you can you finally learn to trust me i've been trying to tell you that fucking the range that you're facing here is not the range in the solver yeah yeah you're not much, you're not anymore com committed to a solver you're exactly. not like slave to the machine like okay you're, you learn from the machine and now you go there and grab your money or lose it but it's up 
it's it's into you like it's up to you it's not like anywhere any thing else responsibility responsibility i don't know how mm -hmm. to, to say it <laughs> but like it's up to you and the choice is yours don't uh don't give the like the excuse to okay the solver did that i have to do yeah that you just have to okay, try no. to make the right decision that you the feel right like for you at that moment whereas it's it's different than oh i'm trying to i'm trying to make the right decision based on the solver but i don't remember that's a, <laughs> a certain pressure you know whereas if you just like okay i'm gonna try to make the best decision here possible then by definition you will sort of succeed and it will relieve a certain amount of pressure and, and somehow you, you're not afraid of losing anymore. Yeah. And then suddenly, surprise, surprise, you actually, when the pressure is gone, you actually start to think and actually make quite good decisions. Mm -hmm. you, you also mentioned, was this then also, I guess you were already working with solvers or did they introduce you more to like they how to me. work efficiently with solvers? Yeah. They introduced me to work with solvers. How was that the transition for your game? Like pre-solver, post-solver. Uh, first, first we we all get like to attach to. I get, I get to put the right input. Like here, I play thirty-three percent, twenty-two percent, or seventy-five. What's the the best size possible? What's uh, how many sizes I use in every street? And then we get like. Uh, forward in time and get this lesson from Walter and okay, I can put uh, just one size here. It doesn't matter if it's 33, 30, 31, 28, 25, etc. I, I, what I get to think is how my range wants to to like how is my range articulate with this bet size and what this uh, gives me and what this uh, leads to on the next street. And like on the net, next, based on the size, on the person, on the etc. Uh, we get to the river and on the river we get uh, to make decisions that are kind of more like black and white. Mm -hmm. But till there is like free land. Everyone is correct. No, nothing is wrong. Well, like some things are right and some are, some are wrong but you get the point yeah yeah so basically you know if you want if you want to make a range bet you should probably not bet a 200 pot that's probably not a yeah so those <laughs> things don't really align right if uh -huh. you're gonna bet 25 pot don't bet 20 percent of the time most likely in most scenarios like the mm -hmm. bet sizing and frequency they have to you know they have to match but then mm -hmm. within that, you can do basically whatever you want, right? It's yep. in the end, it's always the execution of your strategy is going to determine the EV, not the actual. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's a, I, I can definitely see how that would be uh, pretty eye-opening. Usually, actually, when I see uh, a Brazilian screen name uh, popping up in the internet, I know that's probably some MDA red line machine. Uh, uh -huh. You are definitely more nuanced. So you've never really dived into the MDA, MDA stuff. That was not the, your school. It's more solver-based. No. Yeah, a zero, zero, zero MDA. I, 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 don't, I know one thing or two about MDA, but that's it. Because I think if you... 
it's more about this getting this ability to execute my free will of doing whatever I want and not what a blueprint is telling me to do than anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I, I got to be able to deal with the problems that the, the game is giving me right away. Yeah, so so basically what you're saying is what you experience with the solver, if it's too fixed, and let's say, for example, you get a blueprint MDA-driven strategy, you're again being... You're, you're being... Restricted. You're restricted to think. Mm-hmm. I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I think, you know, both have their benefits, but indeed a common mistake that I see when people start to use solvers, they stop thinking and think, <laughs> I mean, thinking is pretty <laughs> important. It's nice, right? I, have to about it. Hey, listen, I enjoy it. It happens. Huh? I'm sure. I mean, I, I, I have the same, maybe you can relate, but sometimes when I do too much solver work, I can also fall into like sort of trying to memorize what was the correct output sort of uh like tick tick i have to tick myself a couple of times in the head like what are you doing idiot uh <laughs> you know but it's it's contagious in a way if you do too if you do too much solver work sometimes and wrong may, maybe with from a wrong perspective that can definitely happen mm-hmm. i'm curious like so you are moving up through the game think how long did you stay with uh, bluff the spot one year one year in okay so you learned a lot months, after that you 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 continue on your own but throughout that, you constantly kept on looking for coaches because you mm-hmm. mentioned you reached out to Goosecore. I know recently also you you did some coaching with Dot, and mm-hmm. always when I talk to you, you're like, oh, does he give coaching as well? Oh, cool, maybe I'll reach out. Even though you're already at very high levels, what what makes you keep on reaching out to coaches? And I'm sure there's people listening at Huntenel that say, I don't need a coach. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you know this person listening is like hey i say that i'm not hunting i don't need a coach this guy's playing up to 10 knl and he's still looking for coaches there's a different uh-huh. mentality here uh like the the urge for learning for knowledge i think is is very important like it's the main dri- drive driver driver to to get there and like, I, I think it's very funny, enjoyable to, like, what we are doing when we, we do sessions, me, you, and, and Sunny, for example, and we, uh, and Mateo, that thinks very different from, from us all, I guess. Um, it's in- interesting to know that a, a, a game that is two cards in your hand, like, no limit, for sure, uh, two cards cards in your hand the opponent has two cards and we have five five cards on the deck on the table and everyone thinks differently about this and even that we have solvers for eight years like popular solvers for eight years now i guess uh everyone still get the different ideas about some things and not like someone we can rule out like wrong ideas we we already know that doesn't work that way but uh a lot of of the stuff a lot of different views point of views about the same spot makes you uh very very different and most of the time better player than you was before this this contact between you and this new idea and this new person that especially because these guys that i reached out and worked 
worked with them uh, was playing way higher than me by the time. So knowing, for example, still this very day, uh, I, I don't know if one or two people know how Stefan plays. Like you, uh, Stefan, one, one, two, two. Yeah, yeah, I saw he's limping yeah. around now. Yeah, I don't know how yeah, long he's and, been doing that, but. And, and, and if it, you, you get Stefan and Dud and Linus and Kevin these days, Kevin Park, and all these guys, they have the same idea about the game, but they ex execute them differently and still gets money and still are like play, having fun while playing. And maybe I, I guess like some are more likes more simplified strategies and some don't, but that doesn't mean that they are like one is worse than the other, you know? And so I, I like, I think I, I can say I, I like possibilities. Like, the more possibilities I have to, uh, in my mind and in, in my hand to choose from, I think it's better because then you can rely on, on what you know. And for example, if uh, online poker dies for whatever reason, we still have live poker and on live poker <laughs> these days some guys still <laughs> use gto servers on the table i, I think this uh, we, we have this uh uh this happening these days but if we knew that like we walked on a bike like we riding on a bike and no one can take it for us you know so mm -hmm. if you know and you know a lot and you know a lot of different possibilities of making the same thing. Uh, it's up to you uh, to pick the best one for the moment that you are in and go with it. Yeah, I think it's also understanding that you just have a perspective of the game that works for you, but that there's multiple perspectives to the game that can work, right? And mm -hmm. that by maybe having a perspective of someone on someone else, especially if you reach out to coach who play higher or successful, you know, you, you pay to get sort of guaranteed that they will probably give you a, a new perspective. Right. And to, but obviously to a certain degree, if you just team up with other guys that maybe play the same stake, they will also share different perspectives about, you know, certain situations. I'm sure, you know, some are better and some are going to be worse. And that's how you kind of learn from each other. Um, mm -hmm. I was curious, like you were, you went from Huntenel to 10 you know, in like around four years. Can you take us through like a day or week in the life of uh, Mateus? You know, this is the improved version, right? You already, you're doing, uh, you're being consistent. And that's mainly because you stop drinking, you're sleeping well, you're exercising, right? You're taking time off was very important. Rest. How did, mm -hmm. how does like, you mentioned routines a lot. I heard you say the word routines. What were like mm -hmm. some of the routines that you instilled? So how, how did like a day of the life of Mateus look like? You mentioned you had certain study routines. Can mm -hmm. you take us through like a day or week in the life of uh, Mateus back then? Mm -hmm. um, my wife, I, I joke with about, with about it with my life, wife a lot. Is She asked me, how was your day? And I say, 
Oh, today was very different. I studied, I worked, and that's it. <laughs> and she, what the fuck? Every day. But my work was that I, I talked to, I meet some, I do some meetings, I didn't say okay, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, and okay. But to summarize, what I do is wake up, uh, walk out the dogs, um, take bref breakfast, study for one or two hours, then I go grind. Then I take some time off, probably three hours, four hours around 12 and four o'clock on the evening. Uh, on, on this time, I do somehow stuff, run some errands, uh, go to the gym, etc. And then I get back, come back uh, and work until the games broke or till I feel like working. So probably it sums six hours, five or six hours of play uh, on a regular day. And on the days that I'm kind of off balance, I, I grind around 10 hours, some like two, divided in two sessions of four hours or six hours. And the rest is the same study in the morning uh, and play the rest of the day, study in the morning, play in the rest of the day. And on the weekends, I try not to think about poker at all, but we end up thinking about it. <laughs> we can help ourselves. And, but I try not to grind at all and just enjoy life and rest because we are past 30 and the time is that the clock. Yeah, yeah. You, so. you, you start to notice the difference. When you yeah. when you say study, like how does a how does a an hour or two hour study session for you look like? Do you review the sessions of the hands of the last day, or are you very deliberate in terms of okay, I have right, I have certain areas of the game tree, like for example, you mentioned the barreling turns through a pot that I'm going mm -hmm. to work out a strategy, or how does that look like? Uh, first, uh, on when I started with Goose, I established a framework that was built around uh, confidence, my confidence in certain spots. So I ranked them and the more conf confident I was, the less I studied about it. And the, the goal was to get confident or at least half confident on most possible, most spot, spots possible. Uh, but these days that I kind of confident on most spots, I just review hands that I marked. And when I see something that's kind of off or that I'm not like I already knew, but I didn't do by the time I dive deep on that to kind of solidify what I thought that I knew, but I didn't knew that truly, you mm -hmm. know? So it's very uh, open these days. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? So basically what Goose was saying is, let's say, for example, you rank from zero to 10. Let's say I have a spot that's an eight. You can put in extra work to make it a nine. But if there's another spot that's a five, you mm -hmm. know, you could probably lift it to a seven with the same amount of work. So you gain two points instead of an eight to a nine, right? And I think also if there's less spots that trigger insecurity in your session, you're just going to naturally play your B game or A game more often, right? Because you're more in flow. And therefore, you will play that spot better as well. So I think this, both from a technical perspective and a mental game perspective or performance perspective, 
it's a very beneficial approach. I guess also frequency of the spot was important here. Like, oh, uh, yeah, a river checker is in a four-bit pot. <laughs> yeah, we you never studied that. <laughs> exactly. So we're talking we're talking just frequent spots, like single race spots in position, single race spots out of position as defender, uh, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think that's uh, that's very that's that's uh, that's very effective. I know you do coaching yourself as well. Um, mm -hmm. What are like some of the most common leaks that you see that a lot of your students have in common when they come to you? Mm. Leveling themselves, like this guy is playing one limit above me, so he's better than me. Well, stop that, please, because uh, you're just going to uh, project in him that he do everything right, then you're doing something wrong. So you're already losing when you're thinking like that. Uh, the other leak is trying to overcomplicate things. Like, no, here I, I got to achieve some... Uh, kind of frequency with this exact hand he checks uh, this hand checks 15% check raises 70 and the rest it's going to be over bet between over bets and three quarters and, and I, I say if you're going to spend that energy in one hand in a session are you going to end the, the session burned out or you're not going to play the other hands while this one is happening uh close near closely to what you already knew and the other is trying to but that's my case of, of, of the people reaching out for me uh, is trying to get short shortcuts and follow blueprints like how is the what is the blueprint for this exact line? And I, I said, if you ask me that, I say, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't, don't have an, any idea. But yeah, it's... It, I do. Yeah, it's also because the question is is asked it's too wrong. broad. It's like, uh, do people bluff the river at Hontanel? Yeah, what kind of question? You understand? Yeah. There is a problem with the question. Like, it's it's more nuanced than this. Right. Yeah. On, on check bet bet line, uh, small size. They bluff enough, and I, what the fuck? What? I don't know. You know, knowing that that answer, if I give you the answer, it's going to help your game, for real. The, mm -hmm. Are you sure? Like, but I mean, this is it, it's funny. So this is what like a lot of the blueprint type of coaching is is built around, right? It satisfies the need of the customers because people want shortcuts. People want poker to be easy. I always, I always say, listen, let's start off. Poker is not easy, okay? <laughs> Obviously, you can make it more complicated than needed, but it's not easy. And I usually try, with, with my coaching, I try to focus more on, let's say, for example, you have the blueprint, okay? And they show certain outcomes that certain lines are underbluffed, certain lines are overbluffed. I think it's way more interesting to see what went wrong for that to happen and what can we learn from that so you can estimate situations. And if you know that, for example... Uh, yeah, Villain's bluff allowance here is very low. That means he has a lot of areas not allowed to bluff a lot. And in other spots, it's vice versa. And that leads to a spot being overbluffed or underbluffed. Then you can ask yourself in the situation, instead of what did the blueprint say, you can ask, what is his bluff allowance here? 
And based mm-hmm. on that, will be likely that my opponent will overbluff or underbluff. And then it's it's you will come to the same conclusion, but one is why based, and the other one is what based. The what based is the blueprint. The right based is the concept behind the the leak, right? And that's mm-hmm. I think also what you're saying. It 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 gives you a better framework to think, and you can estimate better situations. You're you're not restricted in oh I have to follow the blueprint. Exactly. And when I work with mm-hmm. no. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Uh, when I work with Dud, a lot of the times I was asking for him, uh, asking him about, okay, this frequency uh, on my game, right? On the turn, I'm barreling a lot, for example. And he said, okay, no, the, the, not, not let, uh, let's not face this problem this way. Let's think about it qualitative and not like on frequency wise so let's say let's see what are you doing wrong like you said right now and how you're building this strategy and fix it instead of okay you have to go uh, low your frequencies here three percent yeah you have to understand so basically it says let's see how you constructed your range that let you to have a frequency that's out of line it's for example let's say you have uh uh, let's say you're in position as an initial razor. You see that flop, check back, turn, and you overfold versus a river probe. And you can say, hey, your stat is off. Lower your river fold to probe. <laughs> but if you've constructed a very strong bet bet range, then you only have shit hands on the river. And you're like, oh, shit, but I have to call more. And every time you're calling shit, you know, mm-hmm. every time you arrive at the river with ace highs, low <laughs> pairs, and you're just spewing off money. I mean, your stat did go lower, but you didn't realize that the leak actually happened on the turn. Right? Exactly. You had to understand uh-huh. why, what, 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 where does it go wrong in terms of my range construction, right? This is, this is usually if you have a leak frequency wise, you usually have to see, okay, the previous street, I could have made a decision. Probably that's where it went wrong, right? If, uh, if you know your, uh, if your, uh, yeah, if your fold first delay is very high, that's maybe because you, your step, is way too strong. For example, you don't carry enough hands to the turn that could defend the late seabed, right? They're usually they go hand in hand the, the two steps. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's I think is very good advice. But obviously, we had that on the pot. Very very, very <laughs> smart guy, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you could, let's say for example, you have someone uh, for a one-hour coaching session, and you can explain him three things. What would be the the three things that you would explain? Me explaining? Yeah. So you get one hour, you get to explain three concepts to help the guy. What would those three concepts be? Mm, the math behind hey, rake. The math behind rake, that's actually a very good one. One. So playing a game that's actually beatable, that's pretty <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Um, the balance, probably the balance between uh, when someone shifts for one side, you shift to another. If the Sorry? guy, for example, if the guy overbluffs or over aggressive on the street, uh-huh. you kind of overcall. I, I don't like to use that, that terms on mm-hmm. flop terms, et cetera, et okay, cetera, yeah. but I think you'll get it. Um, this balance, because it's kind of the logical adjustment, mm-hmm. and people somewhat, somehow, and sometimes uh, deviate from that. And third, I don't uh how to 
tag players, probably. Let's start with the fact that you can tag players in various ways. Yeah. Right? Some people have rack fish. I'm like, okay, there's probably something <laughs> in the middle, right? You have a rack fish, a fish rack, you know? Yeah, I think this tree and... Why, 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 why is it so important, you think? Because I cannot... In one and a half hour, I cannot teach him how to use a sofa. Because if I had to teach just one thing, I would teach how to use a sofa. But these other three things, he if he can like wrap his head around the logical behind it, the, the logic behind it, he kind of can win games, win in the games, right? Yeah, so he because he will know how uh... to adjust. He knows where, when, and where he can win, and how this adjusts. Works. Actually, this is actually a very good coaching session. So first, you tell him you play <laughs> actually beatable. Then you start to tag racks in different ways, and basically, based on certain tags, you will overcall or overfold. Correct? Yeah, because like that's actually the rule of thumb. Nice. <laughs> it's an excellent coaching session. It's an excellent coaching session. Hi guys, Rene aka The Wacko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement. In our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play, with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. Adam, in your, uh, in your tagging career, have you, uh, have you tagged according to uh, Mateus's philosophy? Yeah, I would tag, I wouldn't tag many people good. And I think the psychology behind that's very strong. 
like why tag a player good or better than you it's just going to create a mindset block that they've got a good strategy and like uh, Matthias said you're going to project things onto them I generally had like varying degrees of bad <laughs> which was quite disrespectful <laughs> to my reg opponents um, but I knew what they meant in terms of aggression obviously you need to uh, have a way to tag aggression you need a way to tag passive people because you're going to deviate strategies either side of that and then how granular you want to go I think is a kind of personal preference also how many tables you're playing I think your table count will matter if you're playing lots of tables having a good tagging system so you can see the colors quite quickly um it's going to be more important so yeah I think it's results in that but uh, yeah I mean those three uh, points from Matthias for a one-off study session were great very linear they covered a lot of um, fundamentals but yeah I think they would construct a very good approach to poker for a kind of beginner player to uh, to pick up on so yeah. really good colors are very effective because it kind of sums up a profile of a player that's why for example with hot stats as well i like to work with colors if a certain stat is out of a range either to the left or the right it either turns red or green so then if i see someone's hot is primarily green or primarily red it kind of gives me an idea of his overall style right mm -hmm. and then based on that it's exactly what mateo said i will lean towards okay bluff catch scenario well guy is green probably fault oh guy is red probably call so mm -hmm. quite solid solid advice here Mm. And yeah, I think a lot of us are visual people as well. So uh, yeah. seeing that visual color just like triggers a lot. Like you might say green or you might say red, but behind the scenes, your mind's going, oh, he does this, he does that. And you've already created like a kind of a default strategy to deal with that player of like a stop color. So yeah, I think it can be very powerful once you've you built that framework. All right, I want to do a little bit of reflecting for you now, Matthias. So you've had a, a long career. We've covered some of the ups and downs of it. And I want to do a little bit of looking back and getting some kind of lessons we can take for, for the audience. So uh, first question is, what do you wish you had known starting out? Like, like Rene said, poker is not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, this probably, I, 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 I would be very happy if I know that it's not easy and that you really has have to be consistent on the work your the working hours you're putting on that if you knew it wasn't easy starting out do you still feel like you would have started on the same poker path yeah sure yeah. 100 percent. yeah because i think often like it we do like start off in pursuits and we're naive because we don't know what it involves whether it's poker or something else but sometimes like that naivety can get us going because if we knew this is a 10-year slog to get mm -hmm. like up that mountain we might be like i'm gonna do something easier because this is hard so sometimes it can get us started, but it sounds like your personality, you would have ran straight into the, the challenge um, and, and it wouldn't have held you back at all. Uh, next question is, what do you think has been the greatest contributor to your success? We mentioned consistency, so you can't use consistency as an answer. What else has been a great contributor to your success as a pocket player? Mm. Being competitive and... Uh surrounding myself with the right people and I, I think that's very important probably more important than being competitive because like not only in life because the people cheering you up and rooting for you and that going to follow you along the journey matters but for example Rene that picked me up on the streets like he helped me a lot uh goose that helped me a lot to dud helped me a lot to 
um, the guys uh, that taught me sometimes and give you some answers that you're when you're kind of lost and give you some advices because they know better they already uh, walk that path that you are trying to walk and that's very important because uh, especially because in poker I think your uh, your your name oh how, how we say that right it's very important being respectful being someone that is rea reliable is very important uh, especially because that's all we have right i never met you i never met the renee in real life but if you we trust each other we can do whatever we want right mm. yeah very powerful so a follow question is how do you find the right people let's say someone's watching this mm. and they're like Everyone keeps saying I need the right people around me. I need high stakes players who can motivate me and take me forwards. But I've got nobody. It's just me in my on my computer grinding. How do you go about going from like a solo grinder, which most people start out? How do you start creating that network? How do you start finding the right people who can help you or collaborate with you? I think probably the people giving you the right questions are more important the the ones that are trying to sell you the easy answers mm. so this is probably interesting to to keep in mind and the ones that are not like they are they're on the path that you crossed uh, like they are playing the same games for example or the ones that already crossed the path or already that trailed the this this road and are kind of rooting for you not the ones that are okay you are an upswing i'm on a downswing uh, I'm, I'm very bad i am i have no luck and you are very lucky no get away from these people okay uh be with the ones that are thinking alike <laughs> i think that's very important yeah, I think the summarize that like like attracts like. As you were speaking, there, a little story came to my head of like someone chopping through the woods, like they're trying to find their path, and it's all woods everywhere. As you're chopping through it, you find like a path going through the woods. You're like, oh my god, there's a path going through. And you see some of the guy on the path. You're like, hey, how how did you get here? And he's been chopping through the woods on the other side, and he's got the same path. You start meeting people on the journey. I think sometimes the kind of synergy of life when we're on a pursuit of something, it's amazing how mm -hmm. so often we meet people who are on the same journey as us. They might not be the same place. They've got their own stuff going on. They've got other goals that they're reaching to but at the same time there's a direction that we're both going in and we overlap on so many things that will connect at some point there'll be a, an overlap in our paths where there'll be an element where we can connect and like you said then it's about the right people it's the people who uh, question you who don't give you the easy option to uh, help you when you're going down who have your best interests at heart or at least are pushing you to be a better version of yourself so yeah i think those are mm -hmm. really good and i think also uh, which kind of overlaps with a lot of the conversation is be patient if someone's listened to this who hasn't got the right people in their life right now be patient keep going in your direction you'll pick up those people on the way be mindful be present look out for the the right people at the right times uh, but yeah, i think if you're on the journey long enough you will over time attract the people who who you need to mm -hmm. All right, next question is, what's the one thing that poker has taught you that you didn't expect starting out? A grasp of what variance is and what luck is. Oh, because did you learn that one the hard way? 
and the easy too, like <laughs> both because it works both ways. Uh, but on a day-to-day -day life, on a regular life, let's say, let's put it like that, people like overestimate the the their like like they overestimate how powerful they they are controlling their lives. Uh, and when you get to poker, you know you you get one hundred percent sure that you the only thing you can do is doing the right thing, because the outcome you never know. Like you you can do the the same thing. It, it's one hundred sober approved. It's one hundred real life approved, and you can lose one hundred times straight, and it's still going to be the right thing. And if you don't have that in your mind, and you don't know how that works. Uh, you're going to doubt yourself and be uh, in a very bad place of mind like very often. Yeah, I think poker is like a crash course in probabilities and dealing with uncertainty. <laughs> it's almost like getting a degree in real life experience, not on paper. It's like you live that. This is what probability feels like in the body. This is, I think all of us getting into poker have probably been shocked at some point and how, how wild variance can go. Like when you're playing great, you're making right, correct decisions, how much variance can go against you. And I'm sure we've all run calculations on, is this real? Like can, how, 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 how extreme can variance go? Am I an outlier? Because probabilities in real time, in real life do play out like really skewed. And yeah, I think understanding those from both a logical level, but even more importantly on an emotional level, because there's a lot of people who understand variance by looking at a calculator, but when they experience it, they go through it for a, a tough time, their emotions get dragged around. So I think both of those kind of go hand in hand. The, deal with uncertainty from an emotional level and also from a logical level to, uh, to kind of keep you, you kind of in a centered place. Mm -hmm. All right, next question is, what mindset shifts have been pivotal in your transition from low stakes to high stakes? And in particular, the second transition. So not the, the first two years when you crash mm -hmm. back down, when you've been able to sustain yourself at high stakes, what have been some of the mindset shifts you've had, you've had to make? Every li little thing matters in rest is overpowered like rest to perform in a high level you gotta be uh rested like <laughs> that's it and people just uh, they don't uh, most of them don't and especially as as older we get as uh the more we we get the grasp of how it works and in, in your body and how we are still humans right right yeah we are still somewhat intelligent monkeys that could go to earth and wear clothes but uh, it's very important to respect that respect our natural uh, bodies and what your bodies and your minds are telling us to do because they they give give us the signs and somewhat we somehow we just uh, ignore them Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true, but we ignore them because we shut them off or we're not paying attention. And I heard a quote, like, if we don't hear the whisper, don't listen to the whispers, we're forced to hear the screams. Like the body's always giving mm -hmm. you that, those kind of noises of warning sign, warning sign. But if you, you, just not, you don't listen to that, at some point, your health will deteriorate, you'll burn out, you'll end up in a position where, whoa, how did I get here? So follow up with that is how did, what do you do to prioritize recovery? Let's say we've had the realization recovery really matters. What are two or three things you do on a regular basis to make sure you get enough recovery? Um, dealing 
uh, with social network uh, till some point of the day, till like max uh, 8 p.m. and getting this off because it's, it's kind of goes tickling you all the day, okay? Here, here, so look at this, solve this problem, oh, this promotion, oh, this, this thing, oh, did you see the new look of the president or, or the Prince Harry? I, I, I fuck Prince Harry, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't wanna know what he's wearing. Uh, and if you, you get on this uh, roller coaster of social media, you, like it's, Today, like in these days, uh, they have a lot of studies of this um, dynamic that, that we are now, that is this um, attention-seeking world that we are sucked in right now. And that's kind of drive us, especially drive us uh, dump, and numb and in some cases we we just get uh, sick with it and that's one point the second point is do exercises the one that fits in your in your day because it helps a lot with your uh, circadian rhythm i think that's called um so you can kind of reset your body while you're sleeping and three would be enjoy life enjoy things you you enjoy doing like uh, I, I had one on coach uh back uh three three years back that he loved to mock his clients saying okay the guy he was playing like seven for seven days he was playing like 12 hours a day or 15 hours a day and no i'm making much money i'm making more i'm making six figures a month and he just asked the guy are you getting late like, <laughs> <laughs> and the guy, oh, I, don't, I don't know because it's tough by your routine no okay. and do do whatever makes you feel good uh, that helps you to re-energize or be rested when you are in the tables to perform. Yeah, great, great advice. And yeah, I think that it varies for all of us, like what things we do to have fun. Generally, it's getting away from our devices, it's being with other people, it's doing something for its own purpose, whatever that is for you, whether it's just hanging with friends or it's reading a book or meditating, but generally something that isn't work-related work or goal-oriented, generally for me personally as well, that's the things that, that energize me. And then, yeah, I think exercise is an underrated tool for everyone. Like, we were built to move. Our bodies are not meant to be static computers all day. I think poker players, especially the, the high-volume grinders, I think you, you probably fall in that category, can definitely go into periods of time where you just don't move enough. You don't your body and before you know it you lose the burnout health problems come and you just don't feel your best self which is never a good experience then you mentioned also uh, being off social media and yeah creating some space where you're not 
in that kind of rabbit hole of consuming information, which again, poker players are very prone to uh, overconsumption of ideas, knowledge, but also uh, of social media as well to, again, escape those problems that you're having. But the easy, quick, the quick dopamine hits is so addictive, especially when you're tired and you're late in your day, just grab your device and spend an hour aimlessly scrolling is, is very hard to, to uh, keep off. So yeah, create some boundaries to uh, give some space uh, is really, really important. All right, final question from me is, what does self-reflection and self evaluation look like for yourself and how has it played a role in your growth as a poker player it cut both ways because sometimes i i'm very harsh on myself so in one way it helps because you you're never done you're never finished when uh, like i'm playing 5k for example right now and but that's enough not enough that's uh doesn't satisfy satisfy me uh, as much as I thought it would, <laughs> but when I started it, uh, so it's good for one perspective. But on the other hand, it's kind of tiring, like because you you're rest, restless, you're never done, you're never uh, satisfied, you're never enough for yourself, and that's kind of. Uh, yeah, I I feel it's it's bad somehow somehow, but it's good because um, we all always have a, a goal to reach, we a new goal. Or uh, if the one doesn't fulfill me anymore, I'm going to another one. Going for uh, doing like uh, Rene said, uh, I like photography. I like making videos. So okay, if I'm tired of poker, that's not for me anymore. I'm going for that and. We uh, have uh, at least 40 years ahead of us. So let's go. Let's, let, let's pursue something. <laughs> Whatever is, it's, it's good for you. Yes, it's only played two roles, your, your self-reflection. One is like to seek goals and what's next and how to get better. But if you push that to its extreme, it can lead to like a hollow feeling of I'm never enough. I'm never going to have mm -hmm. what I want. And every time I get a goal, it feels less than what I thought it was going to. And the next goal appears and it's always in motion. But it sounds like you had a nice balance for that where you also realize, oh, wait a second. Maybe I need to just stop doing work right now, go make some mo movies or videos that you'd like to make, or do something you enjoy. I think getting that balance and self-reflection can be from both angles. It can tell us when we're out of balance. It can tell us when we need to push harder. It's almost like checking in. How do I check in with myself and keep keep track? And I think it's it's amazing like how many people don't reflect. They don't check in with, are you doing the things you want to in your life? And is your life going in the direction that you want it to? If not, you can change it. So yeah, I think the, mm -hmm. it sounds like you've got some good checks in place uh, to uh, to make sure you're on the right path. I want to go to you right now, Rene. I know you're a very good self-reflector. Uh, what are some of the things or practices you've done to uh, uh, fine-tune your self-reflection skills? Because I think for, for most of your career, from my, what I've understood, you've been someone who's yeah been very good at inquiring about yourself and using self-reflection. Uh, journaling, big one. I think that's that's immediately the one that stands out. I go on and off uh, with journaling. I've had journaling routines, either morning or night, where I was very consistent, then it fell off. Nowadays, it's more when there's certain thoughts or feelings that I notice that suddenly become present during certain periods, I'll grab out a piece of paper, go sit down and just write down everything that comes to my mind. Like, what do I feel? What do I think? And try to kind of connect the dots. I think so, sort of what Matteo said about therapy, the fact that you put it out there. I have the same when you write it on paper, 
also it becomes more organized, right? If there's a lot of stuff going on in your mind with emotions, thoughts, and you, if you write them down, it's like, ah, so that's how it looks like. It gives you like a certain, uh, certain sense of peace. And in terms of like, if we talk a bit more like poker performance related, there's obviously a lot of metrics that you can check to see, you know, let's say if you played, if you actually played the amount of hands that you said that you were going to play, if you did the amount of study hours, but also from a statistical perspective, I think it's always good to, uh, you know, on a very frequent basis, at least to kind of take a look at your hot stats to see if not certain leaks fall in that you've become unaware of, right? Let's say, for example, you only do the check-in once a year, you might at the end of the year came to the conclusion, oh, actually I was leaking in this area. Whereas if you mm -hmm. would have looked at that after three months, you could have already uh, corrected it, right? So I'm a, I'm a very big one on that. Basically also after sessions, I usually evaluate myself on, on certain points that at the moment for me are important. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the main reflection uh, reflection word that, uh, that comes up. I had a question for you actually, Adam. Uh, because Mateus pointed out, and this, I've heard this throughout many podcasts, about being competitive, right? I think that's something that uh, that Mateus pointed out. How does someone become more competitive? Because I feel like being competitive is a bit more installed within you, but I know you are usually of the believer that you know you can cultivate anything. Is it more, or at least in how I, I thought about that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is it then more changing your relationship to competitiveness, that's the solution? Yeah, so I think it's looking at, if you zoom out, it's like, what does competition give people? All right, so what do we get? We're all competitive. What do we get from being competitive? Generally, we get to win, hopefully. We get to become better versions of ourselves. We get to compete with other people on a fair playing ground. And there's this kind of, a lot of it in our youth of competition was with people. We compete with people, with our friends, with sports, and this is kind of um, doing things with other people and trying to be better than them. So uh, I think for myself, like I get a lot of intrinsic motivation as well as extrinsic from the pursuit of competing. So if you don't have that, so let's say you're not a competitive person, how do you spark that? Well, first of all, you gotta ask yourself, why would you want to? Why would you wanna be more competitive? And then you gotta change your relationship with why you would like to compete. And I think sometimes the the competition, when people don't like to compete, it's because they don't like the, the thought of winning and losing. They're being a winner and being a loser. So uh, if you could change your relationship to uh, something more meaningful yourself, so competition could be just linked to growth, your own personal becoming a better version of yourself. I think everyone can tap into a, a competitive drive that's linked to their own themselves becoming a better version of themselves over time. So yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. It's the relationship with what you're doing and then create an element of competition either with yourself or the people to spark more growth and improvements um, on that pursuit. And then mainly your relationship with losing because winning no one has a problem with, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> everyone, everyone likes winning. It's more the other side of the coin that they're like, yeah, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should keep my competitive. I mean, <laughs> why would you want to? It, it seems to be a team throughout everyone that we have on. I think we've had, I've, I don't think we've had anyone on that was not competitive, literally. You know, it's always sort of pre-selection, right? That people get into poker naturally are more competitive. But just out of curiosity, you know, for people that are listening, that are like, hmm, I should become more competitive. And I was thinking about, yeah, how do you actually become more competitive? But your answer, mm. uh, your answer, I think, uh, gives, uh, gives more tangible things for people to work on. So thank you for that. Uh, getting more into present day and uh, wrapping up the, the pot, Mateus, going forward, what are some of your goals in poker? What's currently driving you to keep pursuing those? Mm -hmm. helping other people 
always helping other people. Yeah, actually, you that's also is that one of the reasons why you also went into coaching? Mm -hmm. Um, and building a higher bankroll to play higher again, (laughs) like 20k, 40k again. Uh, and try, I, I'm thinking about uh, giving some shots on live poker, but mainly for tournaments, because as we spoke in the past, uh, it's good to meet no, new people, right? And you're playing, you have uh, the, the guy is telling how he, he, he works his life through and where he lives, and he lives like in completely different world than yours. And that's funny and, and enjoyable to to know. Yeah, you get to know more and, people behind the player, right? Whereas online, it's just the player. Hey, online is just the player. And in live, there's a lot of money to be gained live, on live poker too. So it's I, I think it's the same game, but a new, new perspective and a new thing to work again in my strategies because we should always write. So what is something like from a strategy perspective that you are currently working on and then you fit that you think that you still need to improve in order to, you know, play with the, play with the Linuses, the Stefans, the Maki Boyfins at the 2040 K tables. Uh, one fish in the table is one thing <laughs> that Rake. I had to, to. The game has to be beatable, right? That was that was lesson number one. This can be rake. This can be uh, recreation at the table. Second is some heads up. Yeah, I gotta to get my heads up game better. Like get to level up my game because I, I it gives a a whole new perspective in the game uh, about I think combinatorics. Like it helps you to feel more uh, how it interacts. Um, and as soon as I, I, I think it was on your podcast that uh, Clancy was saying that he can play Stefan heads up, right? But he he can, but his he mind his mind can't, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> more than one hour. Yeah, because every and, in every ten hands the stack went in. Yeah, and like, I think I'm more on the other side. I can't, still can't. Uh, uh, the, today, I can work on being able to play him, uh, but my, my, I think my mind already can handle the swings, you know. Uh, and it would be fun because if you have someone, even like. The, the goal is not to lose to him, but <laughs> even if you have uh, someone to play and challenge you every day, uh, it's very good. Like you sit, you play heads up, your your brain's challenge, your body's challenge because you're trapped in in a chair to play with him, and you're fully present and fully committed to win uh, from that guy. So it, it drives me. I think it's very it's very interesting. I'm also curious, what, what is something that still upsets you or like a bad habit that you have up until today that you know you shouldn't have, but you still have? Pay the knit. Pay the knit. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it's probably the the thing that gets me off my game most uh, among all the things because it, it it's like the mindset of okay, this guy here is tagged. Yeah, earlier this morning it happened. It was small blind against big blind. The guy bets half on ten seven four. Okay, bets one third on three. That complete the flush on the turn. Okay. Straight and flush completes. A Down nine came on the river and he overbets. And I just look, okay, I have a straight here uh, with flush blocker, but this guy never float, uh, never bluffs. Doesn't matter. I, I like fuck my blockers. I don't need blockers. I just need to fold. The tag is, is about folding. This guy's tagged as, as weak because I need to fold and hit the dead. And I call. And he has what flush, obviously, because ah, that 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 tilts me. Because I can see, I can see that. <laughs> uh, and it's probably worth one BP per hundred or one point. Yeah, I think one BP per hundred on the on the on the long term. Yeah, uh, on the long term. So what what is usually like your thought process that have? Like usually, I can catch myself. I'm like, yeah, but you know, he could maybe have worse for value. Uh, but he can. For value. <laughs> no, but like you know, th th this is kind of things that you say to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Also, like in this spot, like I think confidence in read also is very important because, like you said, yeah, straight with the flush blocker PVB. Like you have your my confidence needs to be quite big in order to mm -hmm. fold. So yeah, uh, confidence uh, in how knit, how big the knit is. Uh huh. That's probably also quite an important one here. <laughs> yeah. uh, also curious. I don't think. I mean, we've talked. You've talked a lot about like the end goal, right? The end goal in life uh, mm -hmm. is to be happy, I guess, right? And to enjoy our life. To be. So, what is your definition of success? doing the things you enjoy the most of the time you're able to yeah because for example i have one coach in the gym but not my coach but that works in the gym and every wednesday wednesday not thursday every thursday he says in in brazilian we say sesto, that it's, oh, the weekend is started. And every Thursday he says sesto, because he doesn't work Friday, Saturday, uh, uh, nor Sunday. So the guy has work to do. If he wanted, he would work on other gyms uh, and doing other classes, etc. But he he wants to nap on the evening. He wants to watch movies in the uh, morning or Friday. I don't know. He likes to walk his dogs and he likes to do nothing because do nothing is, is good too. And this guy reached success. That is his uh, plan mm, yeah, of success. Yeah, that's a very good one. He seems satisfied. Yeah, be satisfied. That's satisfied a very, very life. interesting, you know, especially uh, probably a lot of the type of people that will tune into the podcast and have been listening to us rambling and uh, probably Austria included as well, satisfied 
never satisfied basically right <laughs> that's <laughs> like kind of i would almost have the opposite model opposite model never satisfied always continue working <laughs> but in the end yeah. what i heard, I heard this good quote uh, i heard someone talk about this they say yeah you know we invest like especially early on in your career you invest all this time 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 you know to make money and then you become older then you spend all your money to get your time back so it's a very interesting <laughs> paradox right mm-hmm. yeah when you ask i i responded uh the answer was doing and for some people not doing are the success like no no i just do things three days a week for example, and for someone is going to be success. I, I, I'm probably more on the side of doing, but not uh, that always have to correlate with doing some work, but doing things I like to, to do. Things. Yeah, but it's always always good, uh, you know, to not lose sight of the end goal. That's also actually why I think this question is always very powerful. Mm-hmm. To finish it up, what would you like the main takeaway to be for the audience that they get from the conversation we had with you today? That is possible to achieve a lot if you put or when you put in the right work and the right amount of hours in the right direction. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to achieve it. And the goal is to do the things to achieve. And if you achieve, okay. But if you don't, uh, whatever is life, we we cannot, we are not gods. We are just people passing by and try. And that's, that's not other thing. Uh, try to be kind to the people that are following the path that you are falling to. Beautiful spoken, beautifully spoken. Adam, any final <laughs> questions for Mateus? No, that was very well put. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciated our conversation. I'm sure our audience thank is going to love it. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mateus, for sharing your wisdom. You had a great journey, learned a lot along the way. And I'm sure a lot of our audience will have learned something hearing him explaining his journey. Adam, what were your main takeaways from uh, the conversation we had with Mateus? Yeah, great conversation. I wrote a lot of notes down for myself. And the first thing that came to mind was this notion of presence. And he mentioned feeling the moment, which I thought was a really powerful phrase that I'll go away from this conversation with. Being in the moment and basically allowing yourself to experience everything that comes up. And as he talked about early in his career, he struggled with this a lot. Like for two to four years of his career, he was having troubles because he was running from his problems. He was grinding like crazy hours, but he wasn't present. He wasn't in the moment. He was doing things to... uh, get him out of his feelings, get him away from his fears, but he wasn't feeling the moment. I think it's a very brave thing to be able to uh, do as a sport player, live and embody the ups and downs and to be fully present. And obviously we're human, we don't live in that state fully unless we've done a few decades of meditation, uh, but generally trying to feel the moment as much as possible, I think it's a, a really uh, good lesson. Next one was another quote he mentioned, giving yourself room to make mistakes. And again, when he talked about being in this kind of survival mindset in his career, 
And when you've got a lot of pressures externally, it's really hard because you haven't got room to make mistakes. So one of the things we need to do is realize we, we kind of always have room, in honesty, unless there's like you're in an incredibly extreme situation. We almost always have some room to make mistakes and allow ourselves permission to try things, to fail, to not uh, succeed in the short term. Uh, but yeah, create a life circumstances which gives you more and more room to make more and more mistakes. I think it's, a, again, a good model to strive for. And the third one was around balance, a very uh, consistent theme throughout the the conversation was putting in effort over long periods of time, get the momentum in your favor. We can tell Matthias is a very hard worker, definitely very consistent with his routines and overall approaches. But then he talked equally about recovery, time off, balance, getting away from poker. So I think having those two in tandem, we've got this good work ethic, you're constantly moving forward, but you're also taking time off. You're reflecting, okay, now I need more sleep, now I need more recovery, now I need to spend time with my loved ones, or his pets, his cats in his case. Uh, so yeah, really, really good. And I think he's got an all-round, very nice life view. I really liked his overall philosophies around life, seemed really, really spot on. So yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. How about yourself, Renny? What were some of the main things you wrote down? Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Like his overall life goal, right? I loved the the quote from his coach that said, "Yeah, okay, you made a lot of money, you grind a lot, but did you get laid?" So, like having like I'm not saying the high purpose in life is to get laid, but you know sometimes to not lose track of the end goal, right? I think that's exactly also what we close the conversation off with. Uh, he summed up a lot of good stuff in terms of his coaching experience and. Uh, I think he mentioned playing games you beat, right? He made people aware of rake. That was one. And then later also he mentioned make sure there's a fish in the game when if he would sit down with Linus, Stefan, etc. So playing games you beat. And think about how the ranges really are and adjust accordingly. And think about, or you can also do research on how the ranges really are. Because how the ranges actually are, I think this is actually something that Fellow Brazilian Zinhao, uh, he also said something like, when I show a competent 200 L rack how the ranges are, he will make a good decision. The problem is people don't know how the ranges really are. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's, I'm quoting him exactly here. This is basically also what Mateo is saying, that he kind of had an eye-opening moment. It's like, oh, wow, the solver is just doing this because it's a reaction to how Villain's range is. And intuitively actually know that Villain's range is different and therefore he felt like a bit... Uh, yeah, pressured that he was trying to play correct. And when he had that realization, he was kind of free to just play with his intuition and make adjustments based on how Vinan's range really is, right? And how Vinan's range is also, also dependent on the tendencies. And we, we talked about that. It was, I think, the third lesson that he said, tag players, right? I think in the end, he gave an example of where he called the knit again. Well, he has a knit tag for a reason. The guy overbetted the river. There was a flush. He had a straight. Hmm. Intuitively, he understood that if his range is a flush, I should fold my straight. It's obviously not as easy as that, right? Because we don't have 100% confidence. This is a good example of, well, if that's the range because of the profile that he is, then our hand is a fold, right? So that's kind of, a, 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 I think, a very good way of um, thinking. He also talked about like common leaks that players had, leveling. And we've heard this throughout uh, many conversations, right? That we give too much credit to players who play higher. It's also something that he mentioned. Overcomplicate, I think he mentioned. Yeah, people trying to nail the exact frequencies. Guys, we don't have to nail the exact frequencies, okay? The reason that the solver does everything with a certain frequency is because the other guy also knows your strategy. And if you would have 100% frequency of one hand and 0% frequency of the other hand, there will be drastic consequences to the equilibrium strategy. In practice, no one knows your exact combinations, okay? So if you simplify to do 
a certain hand class 100% of the time, the other one zero. Okay, I'm not now. Let's say we have two sort of bluffs. Okay, we could both see bet them. So it's doing half the time, but then half the time the other. You could just choose one hundred and the other zero. That's not a problem at all. Okay, it's not about nailing the exact frequencies. All right. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's about it. Uh, and the last point actually that I had wrote written down here is to work on your weakest area first. I think it's very common to like to work on things that we're already good at because we're good at that, right? But to take a certain area from an A to a nine is uh, is very hard. Whereas if you score a four in an area, you can easily get that one to a seven. So your return, your return of investment, there's the hours that you put in, put them in areas where you feel insecure about. So use in this case, insecurity as a compass to point you in the direction like, hey, I'm probably not as studied in this area. Maybe this is what my study work should be focused on. All right. I think uh, the main takeaways for me. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We're also very curious what your main takeaways are. So like this video, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment down below with your main takeaways. We will pick a winner who will win one month of GTO Wizard between the people who write down the takeaways. So make sure to write it down and get a chance to get picked. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the pod again. Much love. I want to thank Adam for co-hosting this podcast with me. I want to thank Mateos again for sharing all his wisdom. And I hope to see you guys in the next podcast episode. <laughs>